For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Kevin Hurley, he is under pressure for time. Uh, you are of the uh, Cork Business Association, top man there, and you own a number of centras. Car Free Day is coming, a fantastic opportunity, apparently, to highlight the fact that things are changing at a rapid pace in Cork City. Are they changing at a pace you'd like, Kevin? Uh, good morning, Mick. How are you? Um, I, I don't think they're changing at a pace um, which which people would like. I think that we could be going a lot faster. However, it is happening. Um, and I think the big thing really about Saturday is it's just a gesture. It's just to show people, you know, that the future is going to be that cities in Ireland and cities in Europe are going to be car-free for certain times of the day. It's not like it's a 24-hour thing. It's only from 12 o'clock to 630 so, you know, stores like mine can take in their deliveries in the morning and so on. People can get into town in the morning using cars, but it's really from 12 until 6.30. OK, where where are your stores, Kevin? I have one on Oliver Plunkett Street, I have one on the Grand Parade, and I have one on Patrick Street. OK, in so Oliver Plunkett Street wouldn't, wouldn't be the heaviest for traffic anyway. That has its own sort of exclusion times, doesn't it, with the bollards it at does, the end? Yeah, it does. It's 11 o'clock in the morning until 4 a.m., um, and it's it's brought that street to life. I mean, when we opened that store first there 20 odd years ago, um, it was a bit of a bottleneck of a street and um, it was pedestrianised from 11 until 5 up until the pandemic. And since the pandemic, it's been 11 a.m. right throughout the whole day. And, you know, there's this fantastic atmosphere on Oliver Plunkett Street. It's almost like a mini Grafton Street, is it? Yeah, exactly. Especially when the weather is good, it's a fabulous street to walk up and down. So Grand, Grand Parade as well. That, that's not that's not somewhere you'd park up and do your weekly shop in your centre now. So you're you're kind of defend uh, depending uh, on footfall, and I mean that in in the actual sense. Uh, so are are your stores geared and stored up uh, for people to get do some convenient shopping and maybe walk away with a few items? Absolutely. Our, our stores are very much uh, food for now as opposed to, say, a Super Value or a Dunn's, which would be food for later. Um, but the whole thing about the, 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 the car-free day on Saturday is just to highlight to people what's coming down the tracks. You know, the Cork Business Association are, are advocates of what we call the 15-minute model, whereby people are able to live, work, socialise within 15 minutes walk at the city centre or using public transport or cycling. And that's the way the world is going. It's going like that in every city. Um, I was in Paris recently, it's the same, you know, in all cities uh, across Europe. So I think that's, um, that's what the facts we have to face. And I think that's the reason that Cork City Council are, are putting this on on Saturday to, to highlight it. Yeah, we're, we're pretty crowded now on the north side and the south side for the most part, except for the city keys, uh, as regards 15 minutes walking distance from the city, aren't we? We are, Mick, but I mean, there's, planning permission now down in the Docklands for I think it's around 1500 apartments so you are going to have a lot of people who are hopefully going to be moving in towards the city centre and that's not to say that the suburbs are, are going to become uh, empty or anything like that but you know the likes of Ballancolic, Cargillane etc I think the, the Cork City Council and the government are they're really advocating that you know people would be using public transport and by all means the public transport is, is not anywhere near where it should be you know, it might be past my lifetime and your lifetime, but I think the light rail system, when it comes into the city, will be an absolute game changer. But in the meantime, they've got to get the bus connect yeah. up and running properly. I don't know how old you are, Kevin, but I remember the light rail system the first time around. 
Uh, no, it was a bit before my time now, Mick. <laughs> <laughs> before they got rid of it. Uh, anyway, I, I take your point. I, I, you know, I, I expect there will be some pushback against this, as there was with the, you know, the car-only Patrick Street. Um, but when when you consider, and this is from a motorist perspective, there's no pleasure in bringing a car into Cork City. It's just a nuisance and a hassle. I agree, I agree Mick. It is, um, it's, it's not a hassle. I live in the city centre myself. Now, I have a car because um, as part of my job, sometimes I have to go out of the city. But, I mean, like, I walked to work this morning. If the weather is anyway good, I cycle to work. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not a, a great experience being stuck in traffic on the quays. I 100% agree. I have a friend that works in the ESB and lives in St. Luke's. And he takes him the bones of an hour to get home from work in the evening, like after doing a day's work, and that's you know nobody wants that really, you know. Yeah, and um, as the head of the CBA, are, are you happy with the way Park and Ride has been deployed around the city? Not really, Mick. I think that the the other Park and Ride up the north side, the one uh, which was originally planned for Tinker's Cross, that should certainly be next on the agenda to go ahead uh, and put in. Um, the one obviously out by um, Kinsale Road roundabout works very well. I just don't think it's used enough. Uh, it's a shame that it isn't. But I think that the, the original plan was for about four uh, parking rides around the city, and I think that, that would be a, a yeah. fantastic thing. If, if, you, take, uh, if you take UCC as a, as a possible microcosm for the city, uh, that's thronged with people every day. There's very, very little parking around it, uh, and they do employ public transport and parking rides. Uh, to get those driving students in, uh, there's one there above the uh, above the ring road in, uh, in in Toker, and the bus comes up and down and up and down, and, and everybody gets to UCC. The city is pretty much like that. It's it's at capacity with cars. There's very few parking spaces. Uh, we probably don't have enough multi-story car parks, but that's going to cause its own arguments. Uh, and what you're thinking is probably we don't need them if we get enough public transport uh, and enough park and rides dotted around the city. Absolutely, Mick. If they can get the public transport right, and the, the, the short to medium term of that is the bus connects, the long term one is the Lewis or whatever you want to call it, and then <clears throat> encouraging people to, to walk and cycle more. Yeah, if they because can you, do that, the, the, bus connects are, the bus connects are amazing, but, but you can't forget about the people living in, say, Middleton or, or Ballancolleg or Cove or any of these places who, who really need to bring a car at least close to the city. I agree, but if you look at even um, Ballancolleg, who's to say that they couldn't open that park and ride that they just opened at Christmas by the, by the Kingsley? I mean, that should be open year-round um, for, for people who are coming in from the likes of Ballancolleg. Middleton is the same. Maybe they need to put some kind of a, a park and ride somewhere up near Dunkettle. I, I'm not sure I know the plans on that. But I agree, like, you know, you've got people that live in, in satellite towns like that who need to get into the city. You know, maybe they want to bring their cars to a certain level, but to be fair, they're improving the uh, train line now from Cork to Middleton as well. So, you know, that's another chink in the armour. I have to say that, you know, the council and government and the, and the TFI, they really, they have a good vision, um, but it's just going to take time and, you know, people need to be patient. Yeah, I, I remember when there was a tram or, you know, there was even a train that left Kent Station and went in past the city over the City Hall Bridge there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's changing. I think the city is a lovely place and I think it would be even nicer without the uh, the congestion of cars, as frustrating as it is for for motorists to try to navigate the city. The city's a wonderful place. Um, I love going in the odd Saturday afternoon. Now, this is from a tasty beverage perspective. Uh, you know, you're, you, you'd have one in the Oval, maybe one in 
Clondenahy's and, and maybe the Moulton Lane and wander around the place. But unfortunately, we still have to get out of it uh, eight or nine o'clock before it becomes a, a different city. That's true, but there's no better city in Ireland and I'm a firm advocate for it, Mick. I've lived in uh, Galway for four years and I've lived abroad for a few years as well and I have to say Cork City Centre is a fabulous city centre. If you take the likes of Princess Street, Oliver Plunkett Street, Emmett Place, all these places, you know, and, and the places that you're talking about, like the Mutton Lane Inn and, and the, the Oval, like there's no other city in Ireland that has character like this. So, you know, we'd be encouraging everyone to come in on Saturday. Hopefully the weather is going to hold um, there's potentially a storm on the way and look, that's Ireland, there's nothing we can do about well, it. Oh, there's buckets of rain coming today. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, you know, if you could, if people can come in and just see what it's like to have a, a city without without cars, um, I think it would be a great thing to see. Yeah, I was talking to KC a while ago, he's quite, uh, he's quite the arty type of guy, you know. Uh, and he told me how much he was looking forward to Cork, uh, you know, the Cork Culture Initiative. Uh, and I said, KC, the last time you saw culture was on top of a yoghurt. <laughs> anyway, so as, as as Neil that's down the track as well, we've got Culture Night coming up, and of course you've got the fantastic Jazz Weekend, which is coming up in about six weeks' time, and that's going to be, you know, it's going to be an absolutely huge. When I was at the launch of it there two weeks ago, and that is going to be uh, the biggest, um, uh, the biggest uh, jazz festival so far, you know. Yeah. Well, look, um, you may agree with the initiative that's happening on Saturday. You may strongly disagree with it. Uh, but it is in, really to encourage everybody to give it a try. That all patrons of Cork City leave the car at home. There will be extra public transport on. Uh, you know, the cycling lanes are getting better. The light rail system yet to be developed, hopefully in our lifetimes. But uh, uh, Cork City itself and the businesses and the Cork Business Association encouraging all patrons to leave the car at home and uh, travel to the city using these modes of transport. Kevin Hurley of the Cork Business Association, thank you very much. Thanks, Mick. Good morning to you. Thanks. Bye-bye. We've got a Labour rep for Cork South Central, Peter Horgan, on line one. Hiya, Peter. Hi, Mick. How are you getting on? Good. Um, you think the car-free day is a good initiative? Oh, 100%. And I agree with most of what uh, Kevin was saying there ahead of me. You know, 100% we need to get out of our cars and we need to start utilising public transport and walking and cycling facilities into the city centre. There's one or two bits I'd take. A, I, I wouldn't agree with a man. I don't think the city council is doing enough this is the first kind of initiative they've done in a good few years. What I would love to see in tandem with Bus Connects, you know, City Council have actually taken a hand-off approach to Bus Connects when it was public, when the transport corridors were published. They, uh, they put a hand-off to it, none to do with us, it was the NTA. Whereas, you know, they should be leading the front on that. And Bus Connects is more than just those corridors. It's about, you know, contactless ticketing, multi, multi-journey tickets, you know, shuttle buses between UCC and the City Centre. You know, it's, it's more than just the, car- the corridors. But I would like to see City Council pushing a more public transport agenda in terms of an information campaign on, on this station and other stations and, and, and the papers locally about the benefits of getting the bus into town, getting the train from the likes of Middleton Cove into the city centre um, because you need to encourage more footfall on, on, the, uh, on the buses. And we yeah. don't see that. You know, it's just silence at the moment from City Hall. There is no public transport champion really in City Hall, either through the executive or the elected members. And we need to change that because climate emissions, our emissions are going up and we need to get people out of the log jam of traffic uh, and, and, and onto public transport where they know it's dependable, cost-effective um, and reliable. Do you know, that's the point. If you have a bad experience in public transport, you're less likely to use it again the next time. But if you have a good experience, you're more likely to go 
you know, the next time that you're going into town or going to Mary, like, well, I'll get the bus or I'll get the train. You know, and I'll, I'll adjust my, my timing. Yeah, this, this might seem a little inconvenient or too much of a change for people, but uh, suck it and see. Give it a try. Uh, and you'll be able to enjoy, I, I'm, I'm assuming, with much cleaner air, Patrick Street, North Main Street, Corn Market Street, Castle Street and Adelaide Street, the beating heart of the city centre, really. Well, it, it, I hope it'll actually encourage more families into town on Saturday too. Like, I have two young children and I'm quite slow to bring them into town because of the amount of traffic that's in the city centre. Um, you know, Cork City Centre isn't especially family-friendly. You know, we do need to do more as a city to attract people with young families in because we've already kind of put the box, as you said yourself, with the tasty beverage in the evening, those going out for, for the bite to eat. Like, that box is ticked. That, that will always be a great experience in Cork. But, you know... In the hours of, say, maybe midday to four o'clock kind of thing, that, that dead time for a lot of families after the events of the morning, at the weekends especially, we just need to do that bit more to get them in. There are festivals every couple of months and whatnot, and that's good. But, you know, just on a regular basis. And, I, and there's something as easy as a play, a play zone, like what you have in Douglas Village Shopping Centre. If you had a similar type situation in Cork City Centre, you, I've spoken to parents, they were like, you need the kids to be able to burn off a bit of energy in between shopping and, and having a bite to eat. And having that kind of safe zone for them to do that would be a game changer for families in Cork. Yeah, and, and the wide roads and, and, and the architecture of the whole place. Uh, I mean, the layout of Patrick Street hasn't changed in hundreds of years, but the, sorry, the, of the buildings either side, some of them have been modernised or whatever. Uh, but but the, the, the wide street layout as done by Beth Galley, that's a nice place to burn off some energy. So there, there's, a, there's a general business and political approval of, of what's happening here. And look, even if you don't approve, it's only for a day, and maybe we could persuade you to come and try it. It may work. Now, uh, if you are uh, of a mind to come into the city, you need to tra- traverse the city, then, then everything is not going to be closed. The uh, mostly wall-free keys will be open to traffic as normal, uh, but unfortunately, if you want to go through, uh, the barriers will be coming down on Patrick Street, North Main Street, Corn Market Street. Castle Street and Adelaide Street and this will last from 12 noon to 6.30pm but buses and taxis will be able to access Patrick Street uh, as normal. So the so-called Panaban, uh, the Panaban which I think this is a, that's alluding to the Taliban, the Panaban uh, which uh, blocks private cars for set periods on Pana uh, and is always religiously enforced and observed of course, will be in effect for six hours on the busiest day of the week. Is every uh, do you think... Uh, business happy with this? Well, the CBA, the head of the CBA said he's broadly in favour of it happening. I mean, data would show you internationally that actually there's more footfall and more spending done in cities where there's pedestrianisation, where the cars are taking out of the city centre. The data would show that from the UK, would show it from Dublin, where they did a similar situation in Dublin city centre. And they they showed in Paris uh, as well, where there's, you know, very radical... um, you know, car, anti-car movements uh, happening there by the mayor of, of, of Paris, Mayor Delgado. But, the, you know, I think what you need in these situations is you need to try it and you need to see the impact. Now, you don't just try it once. you got to try it a few times. You know what I mean? So I, I would hope that this isn't just a once-off and, you know, everyone says, oh, it was a washout, it didn't work out yeah. well, and it's never done again. Try but, it a but few you, times, you know what'll happen? And then come back. You know what will happen, this being Ireland? It may work fantastically well. It may be adopted in the full time, full time, uh, and then some politician will come along and say, "You know something? We could leave the cars back in and charge them an expensive congestion charge." That's what will happen uh, here. I don't see. I don't see congestion charges happening in Cork. Um, okay, uh, I'm in, talking in, in, in the medium to long term, unless public transport absolutely 
revolutionises, and that's why you need a public transport champion is to show yeah. the benefits of public transport. Because if people start leaving the cars at home, they won't care about a congestion car- charge. There you go. I was no. talking a little tongue in cheek there. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of potential wastes of money in the city, uh, Cork City's robot trees have come under scrutiny. I mean, those two words alone, how could anyone think they'd be successful? A robot tree. But they've come under scrutiny over a lack of data to justify their €355,000 cost. Uh, In 2021, uh, five high-tech structures filled with moss were installed by Cork City Council around its most popular streets to help clean pollutants from the air. Um, Are we better off with real trees? What's your take on this? Peter Hogan. Oh, 100%. If we had spent 355000 on real trees around the city centre and around the suburbs, that would have a, have a much more beneficial impact than these robot trees that are having. Because the problem is we don't know the beneficial impact they're having. We don't know what impact they're having at all. Because councillors like John Mayer, councillors like Olin Ring, councillors like Colin Kelleher have asked questions, Oliver Moran, about what, where's the data, what's happening. And they're just getting stonewalled by the executive and it's silence. And the freedom of information, and it's because of that, because of the lack of clarity to elected representatives, I put in a freedom of information request and, you know, found out that it's cost, it costed 17500 to maintain these trees between 2021 and 2022. Is that maintenance that or maintenance and electricity? It just said maintenance. So yeah. this, there's this, the doctors mentioned the thing called air care uh, maintenance. Now, I don't think that even takes into account the water that's required. Since this was published in the Echo, there's been many people contacting me who walk past them early in the morning and see the amount of water being installed, being loaded into them by city council. So there's that aspect to look into as well. I just think it's an example of greenwashing, but more mm. importantly as well, I think it's an example of the executive riding roughshod over the elected members and by de facto de facto the, the, the people of Cork because the elected members are there to safeguard the people's money uh, and should be there to, to safeguard the people's money but there was no formal vote of council there was no formal um, process through a committee that I can see or that documents that I requested have been released to me and you know it's something that I think you know councillors need to kind of step up to the plate on and look at and say what exactly was going on with the with the spend on this. If, if councillors are just going to remain silent, then you have to assume that silence is acquiescence and they're happy enough for this. Mean, but, mean, you know, meanwhile, there are dozens of people shouting at their radios right now across Cork, down in Nangles Nurseries and down in maybe Cameron Kiernan, down in, the, uh, in, in Douglas Court, Jim Hanley down in Hanley's Garden Centre, and all the rest of them uh, that, that can supply this sort of thing. 350 grand. Imagine what you'd get for that. Planted at trade price with the volume discount. And, you know, ironically, these robot trees, if you can't guarantee what they're taking out of the atmosphere, that can be scientifically proven per tree of a size and age uh, by the spread of the leaves. That that carbon sequestration, as it's called, can be defined. Yeah. So I think we're barking and, 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 and up the and wrong academics. tree here, to, 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 if you excuse the pun. did push that when they were installed. They've installed a great fanfare and controversy. And I'm sure City Council thought the controversy would die down, but it hasn't. This is people's money. And yes, we're in an electoral cycle now where people are going to be jumping up and down on various issues. But it's very important that, that you know, the people's money is spent correctly and spent wisely. And especially in climate action uh, projects. You know, we don't need greenwashing. We don't need the climate agenda to be derailed by greenwashing. What, we would, what would I would have liked to see more of money going into, and it's something that I talk about today in the Echo as well, is a lack of investment into the footpaths of our city, which, which actually... If you're, if you're living in an estate or have a, uh, your, your commuter way is kind of littered with broken footpaths, which there is in quite large numbers of the city, 
you're less likely to go for a walk if you're of a certain age or if you have children of a certain age. So you're going to be like, we won't walk to, we won't walk to the playground, we'll drive because the footpath's a nightmare and little Johnny might fall. So like, <clears throat> if you put the money into improving the basic stuff that the city councils make to do, the basic public realm, basic footpaths, basic road infrastructure, if we did that as a, as a as a call to arms on climate change and encourage people to walk and cycle a bit more on those roads, that would have an impact. Really. I, yeah. see, I would be full square behind the council that did that. Full All right. Square. Ian Begley's well, reporting today in, uh, and writing today in the mail that air pollution is responsible for up to 1,300 deaths in Ireland every year, according to the EPA. The city trees were paid for, he says, through a €55 million Euro National Transport Authority fund announced under a stimulus pl- uh, plan to support pedestrians and cyclists. Green City Solutions is the company that designs and manufactures these structures and claims they will ultimately reduce death tolls. And that's what Cork City Council is saying. But Dean Venables, who's an atmospheric scientist at UCC, uh, was critical of their effectiveness. The City Council say they remove about 80% of fine dust in their immediate vicinity. But Dean Venables said from UCC that while they might do that, they'll have no discernible impact on overall air quality in the city. But 350 grand worth of uh, real trees spread throughout the city probably would, I venture. Yeah, and it doesn't matter whether it came from a grant through the MTA, whether it came from council loan resources. Ultimately, it's the people's money. It's all public money. It's all public funding. And it should be, it should be we shouldn't have to go searching through FOIs through councils not getting answers for an, an explanation on where the public money was spent. Okay. Um, okay, we've covered a fair bit there, so thank you very much to my first two callers, or first two guests, uh, Kevin Hurley and Labour Rep for Cork South Central, Peter Horgan. Thank you, Peter. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And Jim, uh, Jim Ahern is holding a line three. Thanks for holding, Jim. Good morning to you. Oh, yeah, boy. I'm good. You need to get in and out of the city centre, do you? Well, we do, yeah. And I suppose all the, all the people around deliveries as well need to get in and out. It's a constant flow. It's a, it's a walking city and a live city. This idea of uh, coming up with notions of shutting down stuff without talking to uh, delivery drivers, commercial guys walking in there, which they're not. And I just wonder, like, has the, has the, the council done any um, report, uh, you know, on, on the turnover on business, what they're going to lose and how it affects, or do they just come up with this idea probably EU-driven, you know, without actually talking. I mean, is there a report there that says how we'd say well, fellas are going to deliver into the city once this is done? Is it up for discussion? Is Can can we read it? Well, we, had, a, we, case of, we had the owner of a few centres on it. He said he'd be getting all his deliveries early in the morning. So this is it. This is happening from 12 noon. I take your point, though. If, if, if a bar has a cold room that's broken down or electricity is, is, is fused or tripped, and they need to get a professional in. Will that, will that yeah. same professional yeah. be able to get into the city? And, and more to the point, has the corporation sat down? They should at this stage have a plan in place for these sort of things. If me and you can discuss it here, I'm sure the councillors who are being paid handsomely have thought about it as well. And they're kind of wondering why are they not even interested in talking about it. At least let, let them know what the pitfalls are. Or are we just been driven by the EC again? And it's nothing to do with them. This is what they're told to do and get it done. So do you think, do you think you it's, a, in, a, in a way, the green tail is still wagging the government dog? Absolutely. But sure, this is happening on every city. So you can't tell me that every council have come up with this on their own. This is a directive from somewhere. Get it done, you know? Yeah, but you, um, you, you can see the payoff if, if it does work. 
that the city will be a much more pleasurable place to walk around and shop and, and dine and, you know, have a beer or whatever. Uh, much more well, that's, well, like, open that's air friendly. You, right? Okay, what about the shops that will have to close down now because people can't get in? You know, let's face it, the bus service in Cork isn't the best. You try to get the, the 214 on a Sunday, try to get out of town, it doesn't exist. It just doesn't. They have no drivers, and it's probably not that bus route. There's loads. They have no drivers, so there's no buses. Like, this is a constant. So there's no point in trying to fix the city if the buses aren't walking right, or you haven't got the drivers, or you haven't got the infrastructure. Don't expect the rest of us to walk into town and then try to walk home because the Cork County Council haven't got their act together. Get the pieces running first. And then, yeah, let's look and we say we have an option. But right now, it's a case of no option. Do what we're telling you, and we'll see how it goes. Okay, That's I'm just crazy. I'm just wondering, isn't it a three-hour ban that happens midweek, three to six, or does that just happen at the weekends, uh, um, or does it even happen at the weekends? It does. It happens. It happens during the weekend as well. Yeah. Uh, so but the problem then is, we say when there's no, every, you see, places are being used on a Sunday in Patrick Street, and you go in there early and have seven. There's people walking in the city are using the spaces. The cars are there all day long. Mm. So that needs to stop as well and put a few wardens on the street on Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. Well, they're there on Saturday. I don't think they're there on Sunday. But, but they need to be on the street. They're valuable, like. Places like the Grand Parade car park, will that be open? I assume the Grand, the Grand Parade will be open to traffic or there'll be nothing getting out the Western Road. So, so that, that'll be okay. Um, are, are there other city centre car parks that, that will be affected? I don't think there is, actually. If, if, you, if you take it that Patrick Street, no car park access there. North Main Street, yeah, there's car park access there, isn't there? But that's, that's from the quay. Yeah, uh, so but you have okay. living in the city. You've you you've elevators for cars in the city. Um, you have people that live in apartments. No one does just parking up the the, the, the while well, they're buildings. You know, should they have to get in? Well, I imagine they'll have passes for that, won't they? Well, is either cars or no cars? What are you telling me? No, that's <laughs> we have exceptions. It's just either one or off. What what, what do you, you do yourself? You, are you are you working in the, you're working in the service industry, obviously. Well, what, you're in, we are in the service industry around the city and buildings and stuff, but um. But like, you, you're, you're going to see, like, you're going to see businesses close because of this. They're going to, they're already at breaking edge between the ESP, the staff levels. You see them there sometimes. Businesses aren't even open on Sundays because they can't afford the staffing. You know, it's just too expensive in the country. It's gone mad. You but, know? but most of the I businesses mean, in the city centre are businesses with which, when you buy something, you can walk out holding a bag uh, and and carry that item: clothes, shoes, that kind of thing. And, you know, you can, but but you, but you look at the service. If you can't get on a proper bus or a proper link service, you have other, to use taxis. You want to make a decision to to travel outside of the city, and that's what they're doing. Yeah, but they're the, bus, the buses and taxis are exempt from this. Well, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. But should they not in time? And the taxis are expensive. Just as how much is it to carry going in the taxi to be twenty five euros? I mean, come on, that's a bit. It's a bit much for the old, isn't it? Uh, yeah, people probably wouldn't be getting taxis into town to avail of this. Walk around, day. Well, well, you look, people do get taxis. I know most, you know, you'll only get them after a few points, but... Yeah, let's, so let's, let's, let, let's find out. Let's just say, a, uh, well, a bank will be closed, but let's just say a, one of the high street shops had a broken window or a, um, a, a toilet that was leaking. Could the tradesmen yep. get in under these rules? I, I imagine some leniency would be applied by the guards in that situation. Well, there shouldn't have to be leniency. You, you, first of all, you have to become a criminal to do your day's work. And then you're inside looking out to see if somebody's putting a ticket on your van. They have nothing in place. And like, why would the, 
why would you come up with ideas for a city and not look at the pitfalls? I mean, I'll tell you the wrong councillors involved. They don't have to because there's no one outside the door protesting. Yeah, and in my belief, it's, it was their year-on-year treatment of the general motorist in the, in the city centre that, that drove people out of the city in the first place. You couldn't park for a nanosecond and you'd have a ticket on your car. Yeah, and previous to that, then you could park where you want, and we couldn't get in either. So there was a, it was a happy medium for. Look, it's good at the moment. The wardens aren't animals in there. Well, they're going to they're they're try it, and I'm sure Neil Penneville will be talking about it on Monday morning. But but thanks, Jim. Okay, then. Keep thanks a million. Uh, your calls and comments uh, on this topic are welcome by phone on 0818 uh, and by text on 0868104106, and that is, of course, on SMS. And uh, on WhatsApp, Storm Nige Hell says the star today. The Met Office issues five separate alerts, Met Aaron issuing multiple weather warnings as Storm Nigel gathers speed in the Atlantic, battering Ireland with heavy rain and strong winds from this morning. Once again, we're on status yellow here in Cork with uh, now it, this includes Claire Limerick, Kerry Tipperary, Donegal and uh, Connacht in general. Uh, so the western half, if you take the eastern and western, put a vertical line down the middle of Ireland, we're status yellow on uh, on the left of that line. Spells of rain, heavy and persistent at times, giving a cumulative totals of 30 to 60 uh, millimetres. That's over two inches, nearly two and a half inches. Locally higher on the hills, easing off for a time in many parts on Tuesday, today at uh, daytime, before heavy spells of rain return on Tuesday evening and night. Quick look at the morning papers. Streets of Cork City Centre to go car-free for the first time on Saturday. You've heard us talking about it there, but if you want to read more about that, Donald O'Keefe is on page six of The Echo with the full story. 70% of city residents, meanwhile, still travel by car. A new survey shows that while almost two-thirds of people living in Cork City strongly agree that Cork must transform into a more sustainable place to live and work. Almost 70% of citizens still travel to their place of work uh, or study by car. Other key findings of the uh, survey of Cork residents carried out on behalf of Cork City Council's Climate Action Unit show that 90% of those polled believe climate change is already impacting the city. 92% want to see more parks and green spaces in the city and 86% want more pedestrianised streets. Uh, One million footpath uh, claims Cork City Council paid out 1.1 million in four years. Over 1.1 million paid out by Cork City Council in relation to footpath claims uh, between uh, 2019 and uh, 2023, according to information obtained under the FOI, Freedom of Information Act. The Council revealed that it paid out €773,462 on footpath uh, claims relating to 2019, 276 grand uh, in 2020, 61 grand. It's dropping anyway, uh, but you can check that out on the front page of the Echo. There are 86,000 on hospital waiting lists in Cork. More than 86,000 people have been recorded on hospital waiting lists in Cork as the Irish Hospital Consultants Association, IHCA, questions claims made by the Department of Health that the government's waiting list action plan is running ahead of target. A total of uh, 86,424 patients, including children, are on waiting lists in Cork. Uh, Check that out also in today's Echo. To the examiner and plans for 12 apartments, a cafe and a bar at the site 
of the uh, former Roaches Town Inn. And uh, Liz Dunphy reporting there, and it's quite an impressive um, artist's impression of what could be at the Roaches Town Inn instead of what is there right now with the planning issues that uh, uh, were come across there. And it's been lying idle. The site isn't derelict, but it's been lying idle for a number of years now. It's a quarter to ten. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. 12 minutes to 10. Good morning, Sean. Hey, how are you? No, you were listening to our previous caller, Peter. Yeah, I did. And um, just there's two points on traffic in Cork. A, they're forever making the point, uh, get rid of the cars and there'll be more spending power. Well, that's in cities that would have mass transit or a fully functioning public transport, which we don't have. But the, my main beef would be when you hear this condescending attitude to motorists, most of them have no business being in the city anyway. They're just going from one side to the other, which is true enough. But we don't really have much of a choice. Well, we have, a, you, we, we have a ring road system. I admit it's, it's, have, it, can be a little, it can be found a little wanting on the north side. Uh, and, exactly. And, well, to get from the south side to the north side, you can either go through Boeing or you can try coming in from Glenmire and Ballyballan. No matter which way... You just run into these kinks and bottlenecks. And if you, it's the shortest distance A to B is through town anywhere. Yeah, but, but if you, you look at it, my thing is I've seen cities, and there's no reason why Cork couldn't have done it over the last 100 years. But in Newcastle, they have a museum in an old mill on the river, and they show bridges that they built over the city, uh, suspension bridges back in 1800 I think 1880 was the first one and the most recent back in the 70s or the 80s so they have eight fully functioning bridges traffic free free flow come nowhere near the city uh, we can't even manage one well we will I, have I, uh, one we, we will have one when Don Kettle is finished you can go uh, south side to north side with no traffic lights at all and another handy way is... Well, uh, that's, uh, that's not full. That can take a carrier off to Middleton and East Cork or Dublin. But I'm talking about getting from from Bishopstown to Blackpool or from from uh, Frankfield or Grange through to the, the north side to head for Mallow. Yeah. Uh, realistically, like I say, you'll go out to the back of beyonds to make it. We should say, I talk about global warming or carbon footprint. You're driving 10 times the distance. I was going to say, there's, there's, there's a handy way from Bishopstown to the Mallow Road, and that is now, you, you'd want an extra half an hour, maybe 20 minutes, and you wouldn't want to be a member of the Green Brigade because you're going to be burning more fuel. Uh, but, exactly. you, but you go out on the McCroom Road, uh, go down to the Ballancolic Roundabout, down to the Angler's Rest, uh, take, take the right fork, you'll come into Tower, eventually into Blarney, exit Blarney, and you're on the Mallow Road. Now that might exactly. that could, could you, even be faster than going through the city. I don't know. Could you, exactly, but could you make it any more complicated? I and know. even at that, even the slightest detour. Try Ballyballan. You have kinks in the holes. Try, try any Try down the quality and across the key. There is no. It's anti-car. It's this aggressive anti-traffic, thinking they're saving the planet, but actually using up ten times the diesel, ten times the fumes, ten times the pollution, all for some guy who thinks he's saving the planet. Yeah, I, I, I love your um, your analogy there for a bottleneck, kink in the hose. That's it. It's like water in a hose. If you constantly, there's a kink and you get on to the next one and another, another bottleneck. Ballyvalan, Mayfield, you name it. No matter where you go, if they could, like I say, if Newcastle could manage eight in 150 years, we, and don't tell me Cork hasn't had the money for it. 
Yeah. This is a wealthy city, but there's more spent on flowers and footpaths and big trees and you know what. Uh, imagine that three hundred. If that three hundred and fifty grand went went into the North Ring Road. Now I know yeah. topographically it's a difficult area because it's all up and down with hills. Um, yeah. But as you say, Kingston the Hose, very especially at the uh, yeah. at the cross in Mayfield, at the cross in Ballyvalan, at the bottom of the hill yeah. into Blackpool. Yeah, because nobody wants to go through through town unless we have to. It's excruciating. But you see, sometimes you don't have much of a choice. And like I say, if you if somebody could look at Newcastle, eight state of the art architectural masterpieces, and we're still here planting flowers, you know. Mm. And tell me, tell me, we're not that that they're not that far ahead. The eighteen eighty, they were building relief bridges and, and suspension bridges, you know. Yeah, so, so, so some of the bigger cities in the world didn't have to go. And there are certain streets like Grafton Street in Dublin. There are certain streets in London. Uh, but essentially, the, uh, the the tube takes a lot of the pressure off uh, people travelling yeah. traveling around London. But they still have a congestion charge on their on their motor cars. Well, the congestion here would be created by the planners. So I, I would find it somehow infuriating to pay something that has been created by somebody that's pocketing the money, the dosh, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So they created the congestion. And even the buses won't work anymore properly. They have them can't even negotiate what's left of the road system in the city, they have it has become so compromised because of their anti-car fatwa. Now the buses can't manoeuvre around either. Well, they will be able to much better if there's no cars in there. Sean, th- thanks very much, but I, I don't know what the solution is, but I, I, I think the city badly needs uh, a redesign. I say bring in a few planners from Newcastle or some city that have actually got it right. That might be a good start. Oh, hang, hang, on, hang on a second. We have Mike here who wants to jump in. Hi, Mike. Hang on there, Sean. Uh, yeah. Hi Mike, what point do you want to make? I just want to say there that this morning uh, diesel there this morning at one eighty six. So the fuel prices are climbing and um And this is know, before the VAT increase. Yeah, and like we have a serious problem the cost of living at the moment. So I mean they're impacting and everything fuel co- impacts and everything. Delivery goods, services, everything and what they're doing is just completely overtaxing the motorist. Crazy stuff. Do, do, do you think it's a green agenda to try and drive us towards public transport? Absolutely, there's no doubt about it. It's one of many agendas that are on at the moment. The tax take, obviously, it's all about the tax take, you know? Yeah. And that's Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael policy. That's why the next election, people need to get worried. We can't have Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael combination. No, I don't vote Sinn Féin. No, no time for Sinn Féin. But, like, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael coming back as a combined uh, coalition is not an option for the, the voters in the next election. Mm. Because it's all about taxing. They're overtaxing the worker, they're overtaxing the motorist. Everybody's been overtaxed in this country. It's absolutely nuts. You know, if you want to get the cost of living down, you've got to reduce your mo- uh, your fuel transport costs because that impacts on good services, I say, everything. If you go to the shop, everything is down to the transport delivery service, the cost. Yeah, every, everything everything is passed to the bottom line. Everything is passed they to the consumer. They don't see it like that, yeah. The consumer. McGrath and, and Pascal are not seeing this, like, you know. They're not seeing this. And this is going to have a huge problem down the road uh, as we go into the winter season. For you know, for even for householders, with the, the the cost of home heating oil and everything is just a knock-on effect. Yeah, well, I've uh, I, I have a friend. Won't mention any names. A fleet of trucks on the road, two hundred and fifty thousand yeah. euros a month yeah. on diesel. Yeah. It's now over three hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's not sustainable for businesses. And what you're going to see, I think, in between now and Christmas, you're going to see a lot of restaurants go to the wall because the energy costs are absolutely hammering them. They've probably got a reprieve for the summer. But into the winter now, with the demands on them and the, and the fuel going back up again, it's going to cripple businesses. Um, and they have to see this, like, you know, that the, the tax take on, on fuel is much, much too high. It's crazy. 
In this country, it is yes. Yeah, we have plenty of money at the moment. Sheka doesn't need to draw down some so so much from the from the motorist. There, there's an island off Venezuela. I think it's called Margarita, and uh, you could about two years ago buy a liter of uh, diesel there for four cent. Four US cent. That won't be happening anyway. Make Not here anyway. Mike, thanks <laughs> a million. Sure. Cheers, thank you. Thanks. I way. want to come back to you, Sean, because I interrupted you there. But uh, I don't think there's anything that can be done for much of the south of the north side congestion without. Uh, oh, he's gone. Okay, uh, without a redesigned north ring. Uh, okay, I've got about ninety seconds left, so uh, I'll go to uh, some comments actually, uh, and I'll come back to the morning papers uh, a little later on. Uh, some comments to the Neil Prendival show on Russell Brand yesterday. Russell Brand, big media, just another term for professional journalism, claiming every accusation on one's right-wing heroes as an attack on the righteous minority is just plain ignorant. I'm not a Russell fanatic, he annoys me at times, but there's no denying he's speaking the truth. People are absolutely stupid. It never fails to amaze me, says another texter. We had a lovely piece done by... Uh, uh, Kevin Galvin on Murphy's Rock yesterday. Here's some text on that. If we could sell Murphy's Rock to, say, Singapore, the event centre and children's hospital would be paid for twice over. What we have there is unbelievable, uh, says Bobby. I would agree with Joan Sutton that Murphy's Rock needs to be protected. Can I also say that we need movement on progressing the Northwest Regional Park off Kilmore Road in Knocknaheeny? And that's from Councillor Mick Nugent who wants movement on progressing the Northwest Regional Park off Kilmore Road in Knocknaheeny. And uh, a final text says, you couldn't build on Murphy's Rock. It's all bogland. Subsidence would be the least of a householder's problems. It's not construction land, says Paddy. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Eight and a half minutes past ten. John Byrne, good morning. Good morning, Mick. Now, you think this is a kind of a thin end of the wedge, a precursor to what's happened in other cities. Tell us about that. Well, for instance, like, uh, Japan has been running a system for decades where uh, you, you get a number and it tells you uh, when you can come to the city with your vehicle. And uh, other cities across Europe are doing it. Uh, but we don't have uh, the capacity for that here because we can't keep up with what's happening on a day-to-day basis with our transport system, let alone be planning into the future about shutting down our city. Now, I would hate to have a a business in the city where my future is determined by somebody sitting in City Hall uh, who who can tell the the people that you can't drive into the city. It was was bad enough that it started with the 3 to 6 agenda. So it's now being pushed out. So City Hall will be eventually telling you what days you can come out of your box and come into the city. No. It's, it's, well, it's one day, John. It's one day, an extra three hours. Yeah, yeah. All. I, I, I shall listen. Look, all for the want of a nail, the horse was lost. This is how it starts. She got away with the, the, the three to six thing because uh, people uh, accepted it. We're now uh, pushing it out for one day, and so it will be two days next, and then till the uh, three three days every Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And, and, what, and what you see is they are now in a situation across the major countries where they're building apartments now. They're, they're nothing more than hen coops where uh, you will have no business uh, moving anywhere outside your own uh, locality uh, and, and which will, everything will be, will be within 15 minutes of you. This is to stop uh, people moving around and to stop free will of people travelling. As you're still going to have your travel free will. It's just convenience, the 15-minute model. 
But sure, they took it away during COVID and there was no need for it. They told people wear masks that were ineffective, that that has now been proven that that you may as well be putting a, a, a crisp bag up your nose. <laughs> no, no, no. no the, people, the people are being propagandized every waking moment by people with an agenda. People need to wake up to actually what's going on. You, you, you have a vehicle, you have a tax insured and tested, and they're telling you when you can drive it. That, that hasn't happened here yet now, but it has happened in uh, Japan, yeah. it's happened in France, happened in London, yeah. but but, right. but ha- happening in huge cities with millions of people. Oh, yeah, but we're, we're not going to be any exception, but we don't have the backup here for to run uh, the transport services for the people. Like, I mean, we have people uh, who are not on a bus route. We, ha- we have people uh, in rural areas <clears throat> who would have to drive to a designated place to try and find a bus to get to where they're going. That's not going to work. And what about the people who like to come into the city to shop? How are they going to get home? They're either going to have to get a taxi or go over and, and, uh, and go bus with bags of uh, shopping, is huh? Yeah, it, it looks <laughs> like they're pushing you to park. Par- well, it's, it's, the city centre isn't for your weekly shop, really. Now, now before I get lambasted, of yeah. course you can... Yeah. If you park in certain car parks, uh, access and, and get your weekly shop done from Merchants Key, let's say. So I'm not yeah. trying to I'm not trying to discount that. Let, let me just give you uh, editorial notes here. Thanks, Kevin. Ghent in Belgium is an example. It's not car free, but city centre access is restricted or prohibited to cars during certain hours, such as on Sundays. Japan is going to celebrate a sort of a car free day every every year on one day of the year as opposed to a regular weekday as, as, uh, as above. Uh, that, and that's all we're doing at the moment, a sort of a car-free day uh, on one day so far. Jakarta is hosting car-free days weekly every Sunday morning. Paris's city centre is going car-free for the first Sunday of every month to help improve air quality and uh, share public spaces more fairly. And Paris has also tried uh, trialled something where even-numbered plates went in one day and odd-numbered plates went in another. Do you know how long it lasted? Because you know the French have a temper when it comes to things they don't like. It lasted a day. Yes, because the French won't. The French won't have it shoved up their bum. They'll, they'll, react, they'll react to something that's not equitable. But unfortunately, we have people here who have, who have been drip-fed stuff down through the years. I'm talking going back a long time now to a particular uh, state organised uh, station. That's it. it's up to his conscience and its own uh, dilemma at the moment. And they took it for granted that it was the truth that was coming out. This is what's going on in this country. People are only starting to realise now that they've been drip-fed uh, nonsense and lies. They've been taught, don't think for yourself, it's dangerous. And the cities you mentioned have vast populations of people who have particular problems. We don't have that problem here. We're an island in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and we're supposed to pick up the, the, the pieces for every country around the, around the world that's overpopula- overpopulated and, and, are, and are running major uh, businesses out of the country. We're, we're lucky, but we're, going to, we're, but we're going to lose everything in the country if people don't pay attention to what's going on. But isn't a car-free day in the city once a year, once a month, once a week, whatever? Isn't it a, a desirable thing to just change around things and 
let people walk around in a, in a cleaner, you know, less noisy environment. And you can still have your car on the city environs uh, or, or use park and ride or public transport or whatever. Yeah, but is that going to be written in stone, Nick? That's only going to be one day in the year. I've no idea. This is just a yes, trial. <laughs> yeah, but you're, but you're this, this, this is the problem. We know nothing. We're told nothing. You don't need to know. We'll tell you what's good for you. That's a dictatorship, Mick. We will, dis- we will decide sitting around the table in City Hall what's good for you. And if you don't like it, that's just tough luck. Yeah, dare I ask you what you think of electric cars? I wouldn't have any faith in them because I've seen too many broke down the road <clears throat> that I've stopped to try with people <clears throat> that I thought were, were having an engine problem and I've realised that they ran out of a battery and uh, sure I can do nothing for them, you know. And then we have to, then they have to get a diesel truck over with a generator on it <clears throat> to charge them up so they can get home. <clears throat> yeah, apparently if your Tesla car breaks down, breaks down they send out a, a diesel van to, to, to service yeah. it and that probably has a petrol or diesel generator in the back. It would have it to, to have an electric car. I, it has to, yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't believe in them at all. I, I, honestly. No, no. I, well, I'm a, I'm a petrol... Yeah. I'm, I'm not into cars per se, but uh, I'll, I'll be giving up petrol and diesel kicking and screaming, but that's just my age, I guess. I just can't. Oh, no, no, no. No, I'm a petrol head. No, that's not going to happen. Electric, no. Electric is for when you turn on light in the house when it gets dark in the evening. You know, and that's for driving your car. Unless there's one of these cars that you can push it backwards and it winds itself up like we used to have when we were kids yeah. and it'll go off on its own. I, I, I said something last week, which was just a kind of a personally held opinion. It got quite a bit of reaction, actually. Um, maybe not here, but I was stopped three or four times about saying it and, and congratulated that it was, a, it was a fair point and this is it. If, if you desire to own an electric car, then you should be precluded from charging it on anything uh, that isn't using natural elements to charge. So you can't charge it from the from the grid that uses fossil fuels. You can't charge it from a, a diesel or petrol generator. You must only charge it by wind, water, uh, you know, or solar. And we'd see how popular they'd be then. It's it's a complete lunatic, farcical situation that these electric cars are given all the grants and all of the cheap tax, yeah. and we're still using fossil fuels to pollute the atmosphere, as they say, and charge them. It's lunacy. Yeah, and, and not alone what they're doing to the to what they're taking out of the ground. What, you mean the lithium-ion batteries? Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you have you seen the hole in the ground that's been dug? Uh, I can't remember where it was, because it makes, it, uh, makes the, the Grand Canyon look like a, a trip hazard. I saw the meme with yeah. Greta saying, you, you know, you're destroying yeah. my world, and, and, and the four-year-old... Oh, year, Greta? Ah, sure, and, yeah. and the yeah. four-year-old digging, I'm, I'm, I'm digging your lithium-ion as fast as possible, yeah, yeah. Greta. But, but what a lot of people didn't understand with Greta when she was on about the wind power boats. You can't dock a wind power boat. You need an, you need, you need an engine to manoeuvre to bring it into the dock. I, I, t- I take that point, but it could, it could be electric for the small bit of manoeuvrability that's needed. But well, look, we've... Yeah, but... Yeah. Look, electric, electric cars, uh, they're not going to work here for us. We we don't we don't have the structure here for it, and the problem they're having in the, in in, in uh, uh, California at the moment is when the grid goes down, they're telling the people that you can drive your electric car down and and uh, take the stuff out of your battery and put it into the grid to keep the lights on in the homes. That's how ridiculous. I didn't that. hear that one. I I heard that charging That's electric right. cars in California was banned on certain days. The world's yeah. the world's changing. Thanks a million, though. You take it easy. Bye. You too. Contact. You too. Thanks. Bye. 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 Uh, Andrew living in London on WhatsApp. Hi, Andrew. How are you, sir? Oh, very good. You live near Tower Bridge. I live, I live between Tower Bridge and, and Greenwich. 
And I would love to see your TDs come over here and look at the mess the mayor is after making of of our other part of London. London all, all of London is the same. We got twenty four hour traffic jams now. And traffic at a stand at a standstill over these bicycle lanes. And are you talking about Sadiq Khan? Yes, that beaut. <laughs> a very yeah. popular man. Oh, I tell you one thing. I'd say now that he's as popular. Oh my God, stop! <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's about as popular as a fart in a spacesuit. Why don't you put him on me like he's putting in this these new charges? You'll see charges outside London. Can you imagine getting out of your car in Grange and driving it to Douglas, and you have to pay thirteen pound? It's. I, I know it's gone exorbitant in London at the moment. No, this road that I live, I live in Surrey Docks, they call it Surrey Keys now. Now, our road from Tower Bridge goes into the Rotherite Tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. Goes from the Rotherite, you, then you're you're on the main road to Kent. So then you're, you're hitting the, the, the Blackwall Tunnel. <clears throat> and then you're hitting Kent, Dover and all that. So it, it's a quite a busy road to get out onto the main highways there. Now, this build, we were flying this here for traffic, right? Mm -hmm. The only time you'd have have bad congestion is if Millwall were playing or West Ham were playing. You know, you'd have a lot of cars coming in. Yeah. So so now, we had three lanes. We had a one-way system. So we had a bay for the buses to pull in. So the traffic is still moving. So this dude put in one of your famous footpaths and a big bicycle in, and the, the two lanes now for the one-way system is as big as a boring. Uh, Andrew, are you, are you from Cork originally? I am, of course, but... Yeah, they, they, they've done the same uh, opposite Merchant's Quay. So between Merchant's Quay and the river, there used to be two lanes going down there. Now there's a wider footpath and a bicycle lane and if a bus if a bus pulls into the bus stop there, all the traffic has backed up behind it. And so whatever green yes. in, green initiative is is the ideal here. Um, there's a hundred cars stopped burning fossil fuel, idling, and, and polluting almost exactly the city centre. Well, it's the same here. It's the exact same here where I live. We got traffic jams twenty four seven. You could go out at twelve o'clock at night for a pint. And you'd have to duck in between the traffic. It's that bad. And you put that uh, down to the cycle lanes and the and the extra yes, wide footpaths. If you have a free movement of traffic, listen, when you're looking at busy roads like this, busy roads, like Merchant Key and all that, you have busy roads. You can't be putting in these massive footpaths and these massive bicycle lanes. I mean, where the bus used to, the bus used to stop, and there's a lot of buses coming over there. The buses used to stop in their own little bays. They took all that away. Now the buses are stopping on the two 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 lanes. Yeah, that's so it. when the buses when, when the bus stops, everyone's behind it. And you're talking about a very you're talking about one of the main roads to Kent to Dover. So the traffic is is appreciably busier since these green. There's no. It's just. I can take. I could go out now and take a picture with you. See it. I can go out with my wife. We done it the other day. We were laughing. We went out to the post office to pay a bill. 
And I saw this brother beeping outside the the post stoppers for the traffic in a white van. I went in and I queued up for 20 minutes in the post office. I paid my bill and came back out and there's the poor bastard still sitting there with the white van. <laughs> that oh. was never before. You have a lovely turn of phrase. Um, what, what, part, what part of Cork are you originally from, Andrew? Well, I, I, I lived in Corneyville in High Street. I lived in the Glen and I lived in Mahon. Oh, you've, you've got a nice little spread there. And all belong to me is from Frankie. All right. So north side and south side. Oh, there's a bit of everything in me. And I married a girl from Talk nearly 50 years ago. And what, what brought you over to the UK and to London in particular? To get out of that place. <laughs> My God almighty. I, sometimes I sit down and I pray to God, thanks for making the move. It was, it was tough for the first six or seven years, like everything else. Yeah, because you, you were you a little homesick or missing. There's an, there, there's an old I, saying, I, there's an old saying, a savage loves his native shore. Well, I tell you something now. I'm going to send you a picture in a minute of my garden, and you'll see how much cock. This is known as little cock, my house. Outside the door, you respect the king and the queen and all that, but when you come in here, you're in cock. I have a big, massive flag flying at the moment because it's windy. My okay. top flag, and I'm, I'm right next to I'm right next to Millwall Stadium, and she's flying there with pride. You know what we sh- we should do? If if you send us that, we'll put it up on our social media channels, and we'll <laughs> we'll ask the world to beat you for the most cork garden abroad. How about that? It's just a big, just a big flag flag flying in the half of London. My wall here is my. I, I got a nephew who made me the, the tricolours out of wood and everything. I've got Michael Collins. I've got the the national anthems. I've got the, the, the masters of the 1916. In here was cock. When I go out there, you respect the English laws, the English ways. But when you come in here, you're in cock. So it's 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 like a cork embassy, is it? For my family, yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, my, my younger son said he would never buy a cock. He, he remembers cock when he was a kid. Yeah, as a, you know, as a staunch corkman, we were going to move on to the subject of time between now and midday. Can I ask you about your thoughts on Ireland's call being used in the rugby instead of the national anthem? I think Irish call is fantastic. I think it's a fantastic song for the people. The national anthem is lovely, don't get me wrong. But... The Republic of Ireland is playing. You're all talking about your 32 counties and everything. The Republic of Ireland is playing. No, it's essentially, it's not the Republic of Ireland who's playing. It's it's the 32-county island. It's the that's island of saying. Ireland, and that's why Ireland's call that's, is used in, instead of yeah, Iran of Ian. But that's what I'm saying. Everybody wants 32 counties. So you might as well... That song says it all there. Again, in, in, the, in the soccer, you'll see us called Republic of Ireland, but in the rugby, we're called Ireland. Yes, because it's all Ireland. How many people are over there fighting for, oh, we want Ireland, we want Ireland back? Well, then that song says it all. Okay. The, 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 the song says it all. I love that song. That song puts tears in the back of my head when I, because I love rugby. I'm into rugby big time. Like, and when I hear that song, by even any day, the, the hairs in the back of my head are standing. Yeah, when, when when you look at the repertoire of, of of songwriters like Paul Simon or Don McLean, and and, and you uh, consider our own our own Phil Coulter, 
when, when you think of the career that man has had as a producer for Billy Connolly, the Bay City Rollers, Puppet on a String, yes. Sandy Shaw, he should have won the Eurovision with Cliff Richard and the song he wrote for him called Congratulations. Uh, but a certain General Francisco Franco um, intervened, I believe anyway, and, and, and made a Viva España win, win that time. He wrote The Old Man, um, and I miss him, The Old Man. You know, the, 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 the Furies. Uh, yes. and, and so much more Phil Coulter's work with the orchestra uh, he wrote the some of the most haunting brilliant songs for Lou Kelly Scorn oh. Not His Simplicity and um, what other one The Town I Love So Well Bill Clinton's favourite song uh, yeah, and, well, no. and, then, and then at all of that at every rugby match to see Phil Coulter's Ireland's Call he must be a very proud songwriting um, well, genius look at Europe. who watches Eurovision now Eurovision is all sewn up it's sewn up in Europe England Ireland look Ireland never qualified and then they had three or four old boys out there with nappies on what they were doing I don't know but they wouldn't give they wouldn't give Ireland a song and there wasn't a bad song either Ireland's last entry it wasn't too bad no yeah. how how were the Irish treated in London now Andrew fantastic yeah oh, listen uh, long ago like I'm saying out for the bombings and everything, you know, you don't have to tear up politics, you know what I mean, but get over this, you know what yeah. I mean? But just, I, I, I would never live in Cork again, like, never. I, and I love my Cork, I love my Cork, but Cork would be nice if I go see it maybe once a year. One time he's going four times a year. And now? Maybe once every five years. Every five years? You don't come home for Christmas or... Any of that stuff? Oh, this my home is here now. All my yeah. family is here. My grandchildren, everything. We're all here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, then you know, I have a lot of cops come to see me as well. Try on the old barbecue and have to piss up and we have a good yeah. laugh, you know. I mean, uh, America's... Well, would would you America's agree that a lot of people with Republican ideals uh, often forget how good the UK has been to many, many Irish citizens? Well, listen, I live around a big population of Irish around here. And everyone has the same view as us. And me, like, you know what I mean? Mm. What's over there? You tell me what. Listen, I'd be listening to your shows and everything. And when I used to go over there, like, I, I, I could be away for maybe two years. And I'd walk into the pubs where I used to drink and everything, and the same boys would be inside there. I mean, some didn't even know I was gone. I, I, I fully subscribe to what you're saying. There, there, there are certain pubs that I frequent where, where the same guys are sitting there and I might be three or four years before going in and they're, and they're there and, and they say hello to me as if I was there the night before. Well, I, I give you a good one now. I got off Southeast Travel back in the day in Partridge Bridge and I went into the pub in Bridge Street. Jim had it. He used to own the Richmond and I went into Jim, and Jim goes, how are you, Andy Boyle? And no, I have a wash. And I shave, and Jim, Jim knew me well. Right? And I put on a clean shirt and everything before I go to man. And this fellow's standing by the bar, and he goes, Jesus Christ, is that you, Andy? I goes, how are you, boy? Yeah, he chucked his hand and everything, and we were chatting. And uh, I said to him, I have a pint, Frank. Says he, no, 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 stop that now. He says, stop that. You called the you called the last round last night. My call. 
That's it. I was in the I was I was in the RSC last night. <laughs> yeah, um, no. that's kind of what I'm saying. You I, you could be missing for six months, a year, and people wouldn't bat an eye when it, it's just so normal. They're so used to be, you being in there a year ago or whatever, you know. And Andy or and Andrew, I'd I'd love to talk to you again. You're you're a tonic on, and you're you're an expert on many subjects, or at least you've an opinion on many subjects. I don't, don't worry. I listen to your shows, you know, and when I look at it, it's that it's just that you should send your your lovely cock TDs over here and take a look at this beautiful bicycle bicycle lane that maybe make a one bicycle in about two hours. All right, Andy. I I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Well, I'll, I'll I'll thank you for coming on the program this morning. It's been a tonic. It's been great, and and I'll I'll, I'll say goodbye to you in Cork style, will I? Awesome. No, no. I I meant something like this. I have to go now, Andy, because I'm flared out. All right, Sam. And don't be a langer, old am I? Oh, come here. In 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 Cork parlance, in in Cork slang. Uh, in only two words, you can... Let me see if I can remember this. You can make a social statement about somebody. You can ask them uh, what might be occurring in their life. Um, you can greet them. And there, and there's there's one more. Oh, you, I don't know. There's one more. And those two words are story sham. That's right, What's the story, Jeff? It covers four yeah. things. Gotta go. We, I'm yeah. really way over time, man, but it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Andy. Thanks a million. Love it, Todd. Best of luck. Best Thanks. of luck. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. Coming up on 25 to 11, Maria Young is coordinator of Green Space for Health and joins me on line two. Now, Maria's work is all about making the city a greener and more ecologically friendly place. Good morning, Maria. Morning, Mick. Thanks for having us on. Okay, now for those who are who are tired of the green agenda, um, how do you sell this to them? I, I know it's for the better. I know it's for good. I know we need more trees. Um, but are you coming up against a little bit of resistance these days? Uh, no, and I think that's the wonderful thing about the survey. It's just very heartening to see that like 75% of people, and this is consistently across the city now, it's not in any particular area, um, that 75% of the people are strongly supporting uh, the need for more parks, uh, grass, trees, rivers, ponds, plants, biodiversity. So, I mean, with that kind of support behind you, you know, it gives us a great mandate to uh, continue the work that we're doing. And honestly, everywhere we've, we've been, and where we are working, we're getting great support locally. Um, in fact, noticeably more support uh, post-COVID. Um, so no, no resistance that I know of anyway. Yeah, well, I, I remember a story, I'm trying to pinpoint it, uh, where there were trees uh, proposed to be cut on the Bory Manor Road and on the Tory Top Road. And uh, I think through public sentiment and, and, and this programme, uh, the proposals were rejected ultimately, and the trees survive. But when you've got, when you know, when you've got the powers that be that are that are okay with cutting down dozens and dozens of healthy, mature trees, that's why I was wondering: Are you encountering any resistance here? Uh, no, and I think what's wonderful as well is that, like the whole agenda of greening our city, is even more supported now by. Um, 
the appointment of two biodiversity officers in the city and a tree officer in the city. I think that really helps, uh, you know, to further the greening agenda, allay people's fears. Um, in fact, the tree officer is going to be releasing, well, as we're on the topic of trees, is going to be releasing uh, the tree strategy for the city shortly and it will be put out for public consultation. So that's going to be about November to January, February. So I think there's a great transparency now about, you know, how we're going about greening the city and there's an opportunity for everyone to have their voice heard. Yeah, 86% of Cork people want more pedestrianised streets. So can I ask you about next Saturday's initiative to uh, extend the uh, the no car uh, idea from six uh, from 12 until 6.30, I think. Uh, do, you, do you think it's going to work? I think so. Um, I think when it comes to the car, car is king in certain parts of Cork City. And I know people get very exercised about the thought that they can't use their cars. But then when we actually pedestrianise streets like what happened during COVID and they remained pedestrianised afterwards, there's been very little resistance and people have seen uh, the benefits. So I think try it, uh, experience it and you'll be surprised. You know, you could change your mind very easily when you, when you, when you discover how the benefits of it. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're coming in from the south side, you can come down the uh, the South Ring Road and you can park under the Elysian or you can park in the City Hall car park. From the north side, you can park, for instance, on Curls Quay. And, and you're in pretty much in a pedestrianised zone in, in, in the city next Saturday. So why, yes, not, why yes. not try it? Exactly, yeah, try it and see. Uh, we're very quick sometimes to condemn uh, new ideas. Uh, so just try it, be open. It's only for one day. And you, I think it'll surprise everyone. Yeah, 88%. This is one of the highest numbers in your survey. 88% of participants say they want more locally produced foods. Is that the benefit of pedestrianised areas, that you get this artisan, bohemian style of, uh, you know, casual wandering through the city and people enjoying croissants and crepes? Um, Well, tonight, Mick, is the meeting um, of all of the community gardens of Cork City for the first time. Uh, We're all going to meet up in the Glen um, Community Garden and uh, all of these gardens, there's 26 of them, are growing food. Uh, It's after exploding. The interest in growing food locally is just after exploding. Again, post-COVID and it continues to grow. So I'd love to see uh, a time when every single district in Cork has an area where all the community can get together and harvest uh, locally grown food, which, as we all know, tastes so much better than anything you'd ever buy in the supermarket. So, yeah, there's a a growing movement, I think, to support local producers as well. And um, at the Cork Food Policy Council, this is something we've been looking at for a while, the idea of, like, can Cork feed itself? Um, And we're looking into that and we're looking at land uh, within the city boundaries where potential commercial growers could grow food collectively all year round, all seasons and supply the city and that uh, in restaurants uh, in, in, in public buildings, in homes, everybody is, uh, is buying food that's, uh, that's grown locally. Yeah, that, that was the, the idea behind Neighbour Food, wasn't it? Jack Crotty's company uh, that yes, lo- local artisan producers would uh, you know, it's using technology, if you like, uh, to foster and enhance local artisan growing and that you can order online uh, and the the farmer or the grocer or whatever, uh, they come and drop in separate baskets, but they drop in one lot. And so it's, it's very efficient from a green energy sort of, you know, you're not burning too much diesel going around to 50 houses. 
you're filling 50 baskets in one in one warehouse and it's all done um, by you know electronic order or digital order uh, and and seems to be a huge hit all over the place so hats off to Jack Crotty for that because he was formerly the rocket man he was doing uh, all the good salads in the middle of town so uh, he knows his food um, do you commend efforts like that Oh, absolutely. Um, again, that came out of um, that came out fast on the heels of COVID, and it, it remains and continues to be very successful everywhere, even in the county now. It's wonderful that you can just go into your computer of a Monday and take a look at the vast array of foods available, click on them, purchase them, and then just go in and collect them all in the one container uh, in the one area. It's 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 a great way of supporting um, local food. Uh, okay, sectors. Maria, can, can I ask you what sort of city do you think that? Cork is turning into? What, what do you see in the next 5, 10, 20 years? I'm very excited uh, when I think about what uh, Cork City is turning into. It's turning into a green city, meaning that we'll have a lot more trees in the city centre, uh, meaning that I can see people uh, cycling a lot more into the city from one side of the city to the other side. I can see children feeling confident, or parents feeling confident about allowing their children to cycle to school, to walk to school. Um, I can see an awful um, lot less um, pollution. You know, Now, I know we don't see pollution but I think it will be evidenced by our health, our overall health I think we'll see the numbers of respiratory illnesses dropping significantly um, I just think we'll be a happier people as well, I think it'll also um, encourage more people to live in the city because it'll be um, a pleasurable place to live. Okay, sounds good. Thanks Maria Young, Coordinator of Green Space for Health Thank you Thanks, cheers. I, I must get to the morning papers because I keep getting pushed back and uh, the sun has plough fans up for rain event. Bad weather to hit the festival today. Punters at the National Ploughing Championships are going to be set for a soaking as a yellow weather warning rolls in for the event. It'll be like Glastonbury lads. Uh, airport stabbing attack accused was aggrieved over social welfare payments. You can check it out in the Irish Daily Mail. Guardian investigating a stabbing incident at Dublin Airport, uh, linking it to the attacker having a dispute with the Department of Social Protection over welfare payments. How many more is the huge headline on the Sun's front page? Cops probe new claim of attack. Uh, this is the Russell Brand story. BBC drove schoolgirl to his home and tour put on hold as fury grows. The pressure certainly on Russell Brand. Morning papers are covering it also uh, on the UK Times, a woman goes to Met Police after brand investigation. Officers told of alleged sexual assault in 2003. Police have received a report of an alleged sexual assault in central London in 2003 after a Times investigation into Russell Brand's treatment of women. No police involvement as yet, no official charge, uh, but certainly there is... Uh, Plenty column inches about it today. Parents are urged to join push for affordable childcare. This is in the Irish Daily Mail today. Parents have been asked to take part in a National Day of Action to call for public affordable childcare. With Budget 2024 on the horizon and parents across the country struggling to find quality childcare for their children, campaigners say the government must commit to providing a secure and stable start for Ireland's children. Uh, we face two more years of rising prices, warns the bank. Big headline in front of the Indo today. Government spending is going to fuel price hikes with inflation, uh, set, uh, inflation set, set to slow, um, but to keep growing until 2025, the central bank has warned. It's a very, very tricky situation 
they're now in a position where they're going to have to put 12 to 20 euros on the uh, um, not have to I mean it's needed and badly needed to, to even keep up with inflation uh, but then as inflation falls over the next two years uh, those payments are going to have to remain because they're they're not going to be able to cut pensions once they put them up that would be electoral suicide wouldn't it it's going to be a very tricky budget but I'm sure uh, we'll be covering it. Our, our Neil will be on this programme uh, and hopefully get to speak to either uh, Pascal Donoghue or Michael McGrath or both at the time. Uh, AIB has urged people to exercise caution. There are fraudsters using the names of genuine staff members now while trying to deceive customers. Uh, and it seems like everybody is getting one of those checks or two each and every day. So be very careful. Revolut chiefs face grilling over scams. Top exec from, execs from Revolut to be set for a grilling from the Doyle's finance watchdog. This is in the Irish Sun today. The online bank is facing question over its poor response to recent scams on its Irish customers. So beware of Revolut texts coming in as well. Verify everything before you give any information and certainly before you send any money. And uh, that is a quick look at the morning papers. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. 12 minutes to 11. Some hackney drivers wondering, will they have access to the city centre? Perhaps we could clarify that from the powers that be. And uh, John Murphy uh, just texted me saying, I'm just on the closing of traffic in Cork on Saturday. I'm the chairperson of the Cork Access Group and would uh, hope that people with blue badges will be exempt from this and be able to use the city like they should. Now, I want to talk to Austin Hughes, who's the Chief Economist at KBC Bank. Good morning to you, Austin. Morning, Mick. Sorry, I'm no longer Chief Economist at KBC Bank. Oh, are you not? I beg your pardon. So, right. well, what okay, are you now? No problem. Um, Former. I, I'm kind of <laughs> independent economist, or, or sometimes my family... No, no problem. The, grumpy old man, right? No problem. The team forgot to put in former. And then, <laughs> no problem. And then it sounds like you actually are. No, no worries. Now, for some people, for me talking to a Chief Economist, they, they'll say, OK, wake me up and it's over. I actually <laughs> find that when you break down... The nuances uh, of, you know, of an economist in, in, into layman's terms, it's actually quite palatable and quite engaging. I love the work of David McWilliams, uh, for, for instance. But the property market is heading into a soggy phase of softer price growth. It's still growing. Uh, the inflation in the property prices is still there. But we're coming into a kind of an uncertain phase now, aren't we, with a tenth interest rate rise. And, I, and I'll talk to you a little later on. Um, about the the proposal uh, to allow first-time buyers in on the second-hand market, whether that's going to be good or, or what's going to be bad. But define the term soggy. Okay, it's where, you know, you have soft price growth. It's uneven price growth, a little bit like soggy ground that we've gotten used to with the weather over the last little while. Um, you know, where part of it may sound, feel firm, and then it's... You, quite soft and it goes down quite a bit so it's that sort of general sense in which we've moved away from the the very rapid price growth of a year ago if you look at the the official numbers that came out yesterday show that house prices are up one and a half percent in the last year now 12 months ago they had grown 13 percent in the previous 12 months so we've moved from a point where prices are rising very rapidly to a point where 
they're moving up in some cases, they're moving down in other cases. You know, you had a, a drop in Dublin house prices uh, of about 1.5% in the last 12 months. So it's that sense in which there are forces acting in different direction. There's still strong demand. We know there's a shortage of housing, but people find it harder to, to find and afford a house at the moment. Yeah, there's been a fall-off in the number of transactions as well reported by the Central Statistics Office and that of course is a great barometer of, uh, of a softening of prices. Yeah, uh, now again it's moving from a very strong position a year ago where people were getting back in the market, uh, you know, that COVID had obviously focused the mind hugely on um, the, you know, the need for somewhere to, to work, rest and play kind of at home quite often. Uh, and in that regard, uh, you know, it meant that there was additional demand as well. We know that we've been building far too few houses over the last 10 years. So in those circumstances, you had a strong economy you had extra demand for housing. You had, you know, affordability because interest rates were very low uh, and limited supply. And this sort of, you know, continuous feeling that you have to buy now because prices yeah. are going to be higher in a year's time. That's no longer the situation. Uh, and that'll soften the market. Yeah. About the outlook. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the government's shared equity scheme for first-time buyers could soon be extended to second-hand homes in next month's budget. Apparently, Housing Minister Darrow O'Brien is open to such a move. Would this not allow uh, second-hand um, house prices once again to inflate? It would uh, undoubtedly be put some boost, but it might also allow some, um, you know, first-time buyers get into the market. What's quite interesting, again, is a big change in um, the, the balance of prices between new and existing houses over the last year or so. A year ago, we were looking at um, new house prices up 7%. Now, they're up 11%. A year ago, existing house prices were rising at 16%. In the last year, they're up 0.6, around a half percent. So again, they've stabilized. So what you're seeing there is because um, new house prices are rising faster because building costs have risen, because of energy, because of the cost of materials. But second-hand house prices are being held back by affordability issues. And there's this sense that now because second-hand house prices aren't rising quite as fast that maybe this is a time where you could inject a little bit more purchasing power on the part of first-time buyers okay. and get them into the market. It's a debatable one. I think it will boost house prices. I think the issue around house prices has to be measures to try and boost supply and, you know, radical moves there. To, but it's not a problem that's going to go away anytime soon. The difficulty for politicians is they want to see something, you know, in the next three months and certainly before the next election uh, in order to feel that they're on the right road, whereas the housing problem isn't going to be solved in the next three months, in the next year, possibly in the next five years. Okay, can I ask you, Austin Hughes, because you're a former chief economist at a bank, uh, yep. you, you know, you're not running for election. You're not going to give me a political answer here. You have no skin in the game, really, except to, to offer your knowledge. 
uh, as an economist, knowing the property sector like you do, what's the magic bullet? Do we just simply have to find a way to build lots more new houses and stop tinkering with grants and first-time buyers and bits and pieces like that? Well, a, a simple thing is the magic bullet is knowing there's no magic bullet, right? <laughs> um, the, the, there won't be a solution that we, we can come at. You, you know, if that was the case, we would have done it already. If that was the case, you would not find, you know, there are property price problems in most economies at, at the moment. Um, so what you have instead is a need to focus on issues like planning, uh, on getting construction costs down uh, and, you know, being focused on a solution that provides you with 30 to 40,000 new houses every year, which will take three or four years to do rather than trying to find this magic thing that will, you know, suddenly turn up houses in the next, you know, six months. I do think you need to be more radical in terms of housing solutions. We will need more temporary ones. So we are talking about more sort of temporary type accommodation that we're going to have, you know, these sort of build uh, uh, timber frame cabin type homes. Modular homes. I think we're going to need modular homes, you know, to a greater extent, because I think we will have much more issues around temporary sort of, um, you know, booms in accommodation needs. But I, I think the, the first thing to say is that you know, we're not going to be able to magic these up in the next while. So what is the best way of getting enough houses being built in the next two to three years? And I do think there will need to be measures there to support builders more, particularly because of the rise in interest rates, that that's affecting you know, the, the financing in terms of the viability of uh, building new homes. So you need more support on the supply side and maybe more, less focus on, you know, tinkering at the demand side. All right. Well, well done. Austin Hughes, former Chief Economist at KBC Bank. Thank you for coming on, for being so eloquent. And thank thank you for being the second economist that I can relate to. Okay. (laughs) Thanks a million, Mick. Thanks. Cheers. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And lots of text through to the programme on 0868104106. I'll get to a few of them and then we get back to our phone lines. Uh, Hi Mick, please give this great fundraiser a mention. My husband Shane and 31 others are cycling from Mallon to Mizzen, starting out at Mallon next Wednesday and arriving to Mizzen on Saturday the 30th of September. In total, 650 kilometres over four days. It's in aid of the Cork Arc Cancer Support House, who support people with cancer and their families through emotional support and practical help. Uh, there is a GoFundMe there. Uh, no, sorry, it's an idonate.ie. So if you look up idonate.ie and look for Malin 2, the number 2 Mizzen 2023. Thanks so much, says Tanya. Uh, back to our phone lines and Andreas Moynihan. Good morning, Andreas. Good morning, Mike. Wasn't it happy days when I was bringing Dave Fanning and, uh, and Ian Dempsey down to you in Cool Cara House all those years ago? Uh, you know, you can't beat my crew. <laughs> oh, the town that never reared a fool. For sure, for okay, sure. And let- a great food festival coming up this weekend now. So really an opportunity for people to, to get out and enjoy McCroom now, especially with a lot of the traffic out of the way with the new road. Okay, now you're, we're on to talk about the car-free city. Let's talk about how the uh, you know how the bypass has impacted McCroom because that was 
a log jam? Oh, massive. Like it, the opportunity where traffic is just taken out of the way and people get to walk along the street. The, the air quality tests that were done showed a 53% improvement in air quality around the town and just more comfortable and more spacious for people getting around the town, being able to, to come in to shop and to do their business. Uh, if you want to meet somebody, uh, you have you have the certainty that you're going to be able to get in through town without getting stuck in traffic. And it, there's so much possibility there. And the next step now, of course, is for McCroom to be able to reach out and to attract people uh, to come to McCroom and to to avail of, of services there. And to, we're close on Cork and Airport and Killarney. And there's a lot of potential there for McCroom going forward as well. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 a wonderful town, and and I hope I'm not offending anybody when I say it's full of characters. You know who you are, absolutely a hundred percent. Anyway, car free day in the city is it going to work? Uh, I I think I think it's an exciting opportunity. I'm a fan of public transport uh, where it's available. Uh, we should be promoting it and using it. Uh, and I know that uh, if it's available to to people, that there's always the the possibility and people do use it um, I think it would add a real opportunity for McCroom uh, or sorry for, for Cork as well um, like I, I know there's park and ride and there, there's a strong bus service there but there's so much more could be done as well uh, the light rail and just give people an opportunity to, to walk around the streets as well and to enjoy the place without the, the, the traffic and the fumes and so on. I think there's a real possibility there and that we should be encouraging um, public transport and being able to move without being so dependent on cars. It's not always an option for people, especially in rural areas, but where it is an option inside in, in cities and towns, then, you know, we should be encouraging that. Yeah, what about people that don't live near the city, says a texter, uh, like the people out in the country? Are we not welcome in the city? I don't think that's the uh, the, the whole modus operandi here. Uh, everybody's no, welcome in the city is what they're saying, but, but try and use public transport. Try, drive to the park and ride or something, and uh, just on Saturday, as a tester, use, use the public transport. Uh, so there are options for people coming from rural areas, um, and we seem to be getting a lot of positivity in our texts and in, in, in the general on-air content about having a car-free day and exploring the city and probably, you know, a non-congested city can be a pleasure. For, for sure, like you saw it there with the, the results we got in McCroom with the air quality, uh, the way that when the car fumes were out and just, just the very presence of the, the fumes and so on and just the comfort of being able to walk around and similar if, if that could be there in, in the city as well um, like you can drive to the city and park at the edges and use the public transport in around uh, look it's, it's having the option available to people instead of everybody being compelled to bring the car right in and be stuck in traffic going in through Mahan or wherever, to Wilton or wherever it is they're, they're going. Uh, have the option. Uh, if you, uh, Black Ash is there, park outside. Uh, it would be fantastic if we could get a similar facility on the, the western side around Ballancolleg and that people would be able to avail of the, the bus service from there on in, into the city. Um, I, I, I'd be very keen to, to encourage uh, public transport always. And especially, like, look, we, we don't have it available to us that much at all in rural areas. And when you see that it is available there inside, gosh, you wonder why it isn't being used more inside there. Um, 
we'd love to have more more options and she you see the the battle that's always on about school buses uh, and people in rural communities we, we we don't have that option of public transport to the same extent we'd love to uh, to have that as well yeah uh, are you guys still involved in uh, I hope to god I've got the right Andreas Moynihan are you still involved in cool car house <laughs> Um, I, I'd say there must be another Andreas. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, because you, you didn't sound name. like the Andreas I knew, and I said, there can't be two Andreas Moynihan's around the place here. Anyway, I, I, I got it wrong. My apologies. Not, not worry. There was a mis- there was a package <laughs> that was failed to deliver one, one Christmas there, and it was addressed to Andreas Moynihan, and I found another four Andreas Moynihan's around Cork that we were looking for to deliver the package. Because in, in writing, when you look at it, it looks like a Greek name. Guaranteed Irish. <laughs> Andreas Moynihan, Fianna Fáil, TD, thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Sorry, Andreas. Sorry, Hello. Andreas, you're still there. I am, yeah. Sorry, I never. we never spoke about the shared equity scheme. Uh, I know you wanted to comment on, on that. You think that, um, do you think it's a good thing? I, I know the alarm bells are ringing with some people saying, should this will only put up the price of second-hand homes if, if it's allowed to be put against the price of a second-hand home. Would you agree? Uh, no, look, I, I understand that there are opponents who are ideologically against this scheme and would shut it down if they had the, the opportunity. This first home scheme, it's it's part of a suite of options that are available to people for to own their own home. It's a positive, it's a constructive measure. It gives you the chance when you put together your mortgage and your your deposit, and if you're short of the price of the house, that this scheme helps to fill the gap the state takes an interest in the property. You can buy them out at any point again later. And there's a very clear defined uh, charge on that. So in, in the current climate where you have uh, rising interest rates and an unknown of what you're going to be paying in five, ten years time with this portion of the state's interest, you know exactly how much it's going to cost. There are clearly defined caps on it for to keep down the prices uh, it's it's a scheme. It's one of a number of options that that are available to people, and it is a very constructive one. There's over six thousand people have shown an interest in it since it was opened last year, and two and a half thousand are now out there with a certificate using the availing of the scheme for to to own their own home. Having the clearly defined uh, price caps in the different parts of the country help to keep it under control and also the way that your conditions such as uh, having to draw down the full mortgage yourself uh, sets more you know it, it restricts it a lot more as well uh, so it's it's a real option for people and I'd like to see it extended uh, to second hand homes and to, to self builds and I understand that the minister has been listening on the self builds and that he is extending the scheme now uh, for people who are self-building around the country. And there's 7,000 of these houses around the country, uh, people looking for to build their own home. Yeah, and 8,000 8, first-time buyers to be supported by 2026. Uh, there's over 40,000 people have used the Help to Buy scheme. It's up to costing about, uh, is it 8 million already? Yeah, the Help to Buy scheme is a separate one. It's where you're drawing back your, your tax uh, and if you can draw back up to 30,000 for to put together uh, a deposit on your home. Uh, and, you know, th- there is very strong demand on that. Uh, there was over 6,000 people availed of it. 
last year. Uh, there's it's been running for for a number of years, and there is strong interest in it. Thirty eight thousand people since the scheme was set up, uh, and really what you're doing there is you're drawing back money that you paid in in tax before, and it's giving you a chance to put it together for a deposit. Um, it's a it's a useful scheme. You can mix it and match the different schemes, the likes of the local authority home loan, the first home scheme, or the help to buy scheme, uh, and you can combine uh, for because one size doesn't fit for everyone. Yeah. Uh, so, like there there are a range of options there for people to to help support them for to own their home. And, and, and should should, should planning be relaxed or at least examined uh, with a view to being relaxed on building in mum and dad's garden and stuff like that. Planning has always been a really, really difficult one. Um, look, you, you want to support people to have their own home uh, wherever it is, whether it's in a rural area or in town. Um, I've been working with a, a lot of young couples looking for to, to get going on the, their own home. And definitely, look, planning has been has been difficult. I think there needs to be a bit of common sense for okay. planning on it as well. Okay. Andreas, th- thank you for covering so much ground with us this morning. And I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Okay. Now then, Joanna Murphy is of Joanna Murphy and Sons Estate Agents and uh, joins us online too. Morning, Joanna. Morning, Mick. How are you? Very good. Now, we bumped into each other. You with your two fine sons with you. We were at a prize-giving night uh, in East Ferry and you you, you sat at our table and what followed was a very engaging conversation in which... I realise that you are an expert in the grants that people can can avail of for buying a second-hand house, but really how little people know about them. Exactly. So, for example, just if we could just go back even to Andreas there regarding the first-home scheme being part of a suite of different options for the first-time buyer, I think it's a really good idea um, because it, it helps the first time buyer get on the property ladder and it's not always is there going to be new homes built in the area that they're living. And I think that's one thing that we discussed, that the second-hand homes, I would have a lot of first-time buyers maybe go and see a terraced house that could cost maybe 230000 Isn't perfect, but they could avail of grants, let's say the derelict grant, grant the vacant grant, the energy grant. There's three grants straight away that could even amount up to as far as, I don't know, could be about 90,000, maybe a bit more. And when I explain this to the young person, they don't realise that they're there. And then when they say, oh, I didn't think about that. that that's what yeah, struck me. I, I hadn't even heard of a vacant grant or derelict grant until, un, until you said it. And I imagine a lot of people are the same. So that's the silver bullet, that one. You, you get all three grants together worth about 90 grand. Now the house is going to be in a bit of a state, I imagine. Absolutely. Like I even I have one particular house now that is uh, derelict. It's been vacant for about five years. And they can't knock the house, but they could absolutely renovate it, extend it, etc., and use those grants. So that then becomes a very desirable uh, project for a first-time buyer. First-time buyer stroke self-build because they'll be getting stuck in, won't they? Absolutely. And this is even where the self-build come in. I have a lot of clients there who, you know, first-time buyers who want to build their dream home on a site near mum and dad, and or even in, in the town itself. And they can't do it because they can't afford the build price. And this is where it comes down even the cost of building now is so expensive. And that's one area that I would think probably needs to be addressed, both from a developer perspective and from, you know, a, a self-build perspective of a first-time buyer. So your advice to those who would be trying to get on the property ladder, hopefully they'll be getting this consideration in the budget that the, uh, the, the grants will be not just for new houses, 
but for second hand as well. And of course, you'd like that because you're not in the auctioneering business. That's going to open yeah. up things a little. Well, do, do you think it'll 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 force prices upwards at all? No, I don't. I think that um, mortgage rates are there anyway. They're going, you know, they're they're creeping up a small bit. So they're kind of probably stabilising the market in 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 some respect. But I think from um, buying up secondhand houses in towns and villages, it'll kind of maybe eliminate some of the dereliction that's going around. Because you'd see a lot of new builds that were, let's say, back in 2006 that are still vacant today. And now they could be sold to the first-time buyer because they're classified as second-hand home and be built up. And then you have, let's say, um, units, buildings in towns. Obviously, speaking from a Cove perspective, you could have a building in Cove Town that, ha- that would have had a commercial unit on the ground floor that building could then be repurposed for residential, and as a second, uh, you know, as um, as a second-hand property for the first-time buyer. And is is that being done, or is it red taped? No, it's like I would be promoting that all the time. That you know, you see a building in in Cove, let's say, and it would have been a shop back in the seventies, and now it's not a shop anymore, and it's vacant. And it's a guy, you know, you can go in and get that repurposed and make it into a residential home for yourself. And you're in town. And then even when you went on about the, the public transport system, that's really, really important too, that um, having a, pub, a public transport system where you live, if you're 30 minutes from your workplace or 30 minutes from where you need to be, it's really, really good. And I think that's a game changer for a lot of towns and villages now to be, have, to be able to have a good rail service, have a good bus service. And that's only improving all the time from a sustainability perspective. Okay, you, you you told me a very engaging story about uh, a house where the buyer suddenly had a change of heart. And maybe that's the difference between owner-operated uh, auctioneering and the bigger firms of, 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 of auctioneers, if you like. Uh, in, in, in that, you, you know, you don't, you don't have, you obviously have targets, you have to put food on the table, but uh, you, you don't, have, owning your own business, uh, what I'm trying to get at here, you don't have a manager breathing down your neck uh, as, as regards you need huge, huge turnover. Tell me, can you remember that story? Can you t- tell us that, where somebody changed their mind after you came to appraise the house? Yeah, so, like, for example, obviously selling your home or selling any property is such a big move and it's such an important part of your life. And, you know, I've, it, there's so many different stages to finally putting that house on the market. You could have a family who've been living in a house for 30 or 40 years, um, kids have now gone, the house is too big, and they'll have to downsize. They know they need to, but it's really hard to leave their home. And that's probably where I come in, is that, you know, you've got to talk to them. It's, going to, it's not going to happen overnight. This process can take up to about six months. It can even take a year. And finally, to, you know, to decide that this is what they want to do. It's a journey, and I know we're using that word journey, but it kind of is from the time that they make that phone call to me to the time they finally downsize and buy the home that they, you know, to, to be able to spend the rest of their days in. It's not all plain sailing. Sometimes people can put a house on the market and then they get coasted to say, you know, we've actually changed our mind. That's fine. And I suppose that's where it comes to me, you know, I'm, I'm in business 27 years now and you win some, you lose some, it's fine. Do you know what? If they don't decide to sell their house today, they probably will eventually and then they'll come back to you. So you said, that's no problem. I understand. It happens all the time. Uh, and I, I think it's down to some people consider their family home. They're very clinical about it. It's bricks and mortar. Others are very emotionally attached to yeah, property. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, like if someone has a family home, they have memories there and the kids were reared there and it's, it's what they know. 
But I, I, I always say, you know, why don't you go and have a look at a few houses that are smaller? See what you think. See about the different areas and bring them along gently. And that's what it's all about. It's not, you can't, it's not right to force feed people. And I think people have to feel comfortable with the move they make. And I always say, you know what, you've made the phone call to me today and it may take about two years before all this happens. But the minute you walk out the store, you'll want to leave them because you'll have found the houses you want to go to. Okay, our house prices are actually falling. Well, I, I know I know Cove is your barometer, but I know you travelled far beyond Cove as well. Yeah, yeah. So it all depends on the house. So the three bedroom semi, for example, I'm going to say back in the boom time would have been three hundred twenty thousand, three hundred thirty thousand, in the likes of Cove, right? That now is creeping up to that value now for the second hand home. The special, you know, the specialist house, the unique property. Yeah, they're going up in value, probably by twenty percent because there isn't a huge supply of them. And I'm, that's, I'm talking about the detached, the detached property, the, uh, the big detached manor, mansion, etc. They're attracting a different overseas market. And then you have the detached bungalow or the detached dormer. They're attracting the person you know, who's had the three-bedroom semi and they want to upgrade. There isn't a huge supply of them. They might have a view of the harbour. They might have a big garden, amenities near them. So it all depends on the property, but there's some really, really good buyers out there. And this is what I say to the first-time buyer, because I would have a lot of emails from first-time buyers where they're upset because they don't know how they're going to get on the market. They're never going to be able to afford a house. This is why this scheme is pretty good. It's going to help them. But also I say to people, you know, your first home generally isn't your forever home. So you could buy a house for 200 grand, 190, 210, and needs work, avail of the grants, do it up. And then come back to me in five or six years' time, sell it, make a profit, and buy another house. That's kind of how it works. That's why it's called the property ladder, I suppose. Exactly. And I just feel that, you know, people, I suppose it's just to be more educated, that people need to know, they need more information that they can understand. Do you know what I mean? That they, that they know, like as you said, they wouldn't have known about the grants that were available. But they are there, but they just need to know about it in real terms. How much money are they going to be able to avail of by getting that grant? And, and do, do people have a notion that these grants are only available for the cheapest of the cheap houses? I just don't think that they know too much about it. I mean, we're all living in a very fast world at the moment. A lot of people are working, they're busy, they don't have time to do a lot of research. And this is probably where auctioneers could, could maybe relay that information to the first-time buyer or to the buyer in general. Okay, it makes perfect sense to me. Uh, you've, you've, you've reminded me of a story um, when you're talking about houses and downsizing and smaller and all that. You reminded me of a story, a story when Bono from U2 was asked on National American TV, Bono, are you going to run for president of the United States? Uh, <laughs> and he said, no, I couldn't live in a smaller house. Oh, really? I, well, I thought it was a perfect well. answer. Joanna Murphy, Joanna Murphy and Sons <laughs> Estate so Agents. Thanks a million. Cheers. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And let's go to line one and two. Aoife Kearns, who is a news reporter with News Talk. Good morning to you, Aoife. Good morning, Neil. How are you? It's Mick, but you're at, you're at the ploughing. Uh, is, is it a bit of a mud fest? It is an absolute mud fest. Um, we're like uh, pigs in mud, we'll say. <laughs> uh, it's uh, raining here, but the rain is set to ease in the next few hours. Uh, I was talking earlier on to Alan O'Reilly from Carlow Weather, and he was saying that by this afternoon, the rain should ease and it's going to rain overnight, but the next few days look to be a bit better. So that's always a plus. But yes, thousands still turned out. Uh, good thing about farmers, they're always prepared for the weather. 
um, all the wet gear on them, the well- Wellington boots and all the rest. And everyone just pottering around, having a look at the sites, plenty of umbrellas, plenty of politicians and ministers and all of the rest. Michael D. Higgins is set to arrive on at around 12 o'clock. And in total, there's 1,700 exhibitors here, so plenty to see and do. It's a, it's a crazy amount of exhibitors. For anyone who hasn't been, or who might be labouring under, under the illusion that it's just... Um, you know, displays of tractors and, and, and ploughing. And can you dispel that notion for us? Absolutely not. Um, I'm a farmer's daughter, but I probably should do more on the farm, uh, if, you, if you get what I'm saying. Uh, I would have gone every single year since I was a child. And, I mean, there's as much makeup as there is machinery in some ways. Uh, there's candles and food stalls, and it's like any kind of a festival, really. I always say to my friends, the first time I went to Electric Picnic, the music festival, I just said, so that's like the playing, except there's a bit of music. So that's exactly what it's like. Okay, so you're from Moon Coin as well. And, um, I am. Yeah, what's that famous song that, uh, that, that the cork, that the cork <laughs> man... Of Moon Coin. Oh, we yeah. I'll dispute that. <laughs> when, when, when you mix that with a, cor- a certain cork song, you get this, right? Um, where we sported and played need the green leafy shade with you, lovely Molly, the rose of moonkind. I love it. My nanny, who's a proud done manly woman, will be very proud of that song, I'd say. <laughs> will, 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 you, will you stay with us? I, I want to play um, the, the box you sent into us uh, because this uh, does feature... Uh, a, a group of Cork lads. My name is Sean Lynch. I'm from Cork. I, I'm here to look at a Red Rock 2,500 gallon tank ready to expand the farm at home. It's just fine weather today. Yeah. Currently pissing around. We should look, we get over it. What's the plowing like for a bit of machinery and all the rest? Is it good to kind of see what's out there? Yeah, it's good to see what's out there. No, a bit of this, a bit of that. Like. You're over in Australia. Do you miss it now today? Yeah, it's a bit drier. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you looking forward to seeing? Any kind of machinery or kind of innovations in particular? I'm just swimming. Is that I'll what you're drive down there in a half an hour. <laughs> are you big into the driving? <laughs> no, I'm a dry woman. <laughs> <laughs> what is that the plowing you're most looking forward to seeing? The big crone, 1180. Yeah. Yeah. Big harvester, jeez, that's a right, yo. Yeah. Would you like one of them? Oh my God, I would. Yeah. No, it used to be contractors, but now we're only milking the cows. It's a bit controversial at the minute, to be honest, now. it's Milk price is dropping, and sure, a whole lot. Like, it's, it's, gone, it's gone skew ways, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the minister will be out today. Uh, do you reckon that there'll be a few farmers that'll co- go up and say hello to him, or do you think that he might get a bit of a cold shoulder? Uh, I'd say there'll be a bit of both. You know, some farmers don't mind, others do. So it all, all depends, really. That's, I don't know. It's gone. What was the traffic like coming up from Cork? Oh, it was all right. You were asleep in the back of the car, you wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was grand, there was no traffic, really. Uh, that's brilliant, Vox. I particularly like the part in the, in the middle, Aoife, where you just said, what machinery are you here to see? He said, no, just the women. <laughs> It, that's it exactly well you know people like a bit of machinery they might like a bit of music there's Marty Moon um, any agricultural folk will know his favourite famous song Hit the Dish and there's a bit of everything certainly you wouldn't just look at tractors for the exactly. whole 5-6 hours that you're there, there anyway will you stay with us uh, Aoife because for those who are looking beyond the tractors to the fairer sex we have Mairead Lockman who's a professional matchmaker from Love HQ and she's up at the ploughing hi Mairead Good morning, Neil. How are you keeping? I'm good, um, except I've been called Neil all the time and my name is Mick, but that's, that's okay. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you're, you're, you're at the ploughing. Now, apparently you're looking for male and female farmers, farmers' uh, daughters that would like to, to date uh, farmers' sons, yeah. gay and straight farmers, um, members of the uh, lay public non-farmers who'd like to get married into a farming family, 
tell us the whole gambit of what you're about there. Basically, I'm a professional matchmaker. I match people all over Ireland from all walks of life, not just farming, but we are down here today talking to farmers and people that would like to meet a farmer. Um, and I match them for love. So basically, I meet all my clients in person. I get to know them, the type of person they'd like to meet, and then anything else that I feel myself me to match them. And wow. I've matched over 7,000 people since 2016. 7,000? Yes, is, is all that, over Ireland. Is that 3,500 weddings now or 7,000 weddings? We're close to it now. Not everybody wants to get married, so we won't, get it, we won't scare off some people now at the same time. But no, look, there is there's lots of huge amount of success, weddings, babies, engagements, and especially now, like a year and a half, we'll say since all restrictions have lifted and everything like that, uh, there's a little bit of magic going on out there at the moment. So you, you've, you've featured in all the big farming publications down the years, the Farmer's Journal, the Irish Independent Farmer, uh, Agriland, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. farming. Uh, so you must have hundreds of farmers uh, from all over Ireland already on the books. I do. And like I, that's the thing. There's, I'm seeing a huge amount in, on the increase of female farmers coming to me as well. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of gay farmers coming to me. And people, you know, that are looking to meet farmers. Now, obviously, it's just not just farmers that I that I match um, meet people from all walks of life. But today, we definitely are talking to farmers. Um, and there's a huge amount of success because... You know, anybody that is farming or is, you know, ever living in rural Ireland, they know how difficult it is to meet someone, even if they go on Tinder and set the radius for 20 kilometres. You know, there might only be three matches and you'll, you'll swipe through those fairly fast. OK, so are there a lot of female farmers? Fun. Are there a lot of gay farmers? There, there are actually, yeah. There's a huge amount of female and gay farmers. Um, there's a lot of women getting into the agricultural sector, which is great to see. Um, obviously, we, we match people from all walks of life, so gay, straight, it doesn't matter. Love is love. There's no boundaries of anybody that can come to us for Love HQ. So, uh, again, I'm actually down in Cork. I cover all over the country. I meet people in Dublin, Galway, Cork, Limerick, Kilkenny and Mullingar. But I'm actually down in Cork again on the 17th of October meeting clients. So I actually travel the whole way down to meet them as well. Um, and I meet a lot of people from agricultural backgrounds down around the Munster area. Um, my own grandparents, all four of them, are originally from Tipperary. So we have a good few from Tipperary as well. Um, and I, look, there's just... We've, there's we've, a, we've, got a girl, we've got a girl from Moon Coin on the other line here. Her name is Aoife Kearns, <laughs> right? Are, are you looking, yeah, you're looking for, for a farmer, Aoife? Oh, I won't, I, I won't say yes or I won't say no. I'll be, <laughs> uh, I won't give away my cards. But I will say this... Um, I don't know if your experience is this phrase, but certainly uh, it's, it's probably a more difficult match to make than a regular career. Uh, you know, you have to understand farming, and this is coming from a townie uh, that married a country, the daughter of a townie that uh, married a culty, and I'll tell you, it's, it, it, can be, it can be difficult. It's a challenging career. You're, you're on all the time. Absolutely. What I find is people that have, you know, grown up on a farming uh, or on a farm or come from a farming background or anything, there's two very definite answers when you suggest what they date a farmer. They'll say either absolutely yes, they'd love it, or they'll say absolutely no. So it's not for everybody. So that's why we're down, I suppose, just uh, trying to meet as many people as possible to get those lovely, great matches. Yeah, but of course, if, if they're on your books, they could be wandering the site uh, at, the, at the ploughing and never bump into the love of their life. But if they're on your books, it kind of... It kind of concentrates the effort, doesn't it? You, you might have... Have you meetings set up at the ploughing? I do, yeah. I'm meeting people. I've already actually bumped into two farmers uh, randomly that I uh, that are already on my books that I've met probably in the last two months. Uh, I met uh, a couple last year that actually got engaged at the ploughing, so they did their, that, into their, <laughs> that into their farming. But, um, no, look, I, 
I meet people uh, obviously in person and then I arrange all their dates for them um, and that is the great thing because I get to filter it out you know, straight away obviously I get to know, I know already by talking to them whether or not they want to have a family whether or not they already have kids you know what type of farming some people might say I don't mind you know if they're dry stock oh, I, I, their, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't marry a tillage farmer I'd, I'd only ma- marry a livestock farmer that's it exactly but the main thing is I think um the poor dairy farmers get a little bit of a hard time with, you know, being, yeah. being I suppose, time demanding and everything like well, I'm that. Sure, I'm sure Charlie McConlogue will get, a, will get a few words in his ear about the derogation and all of the stuff that's going on at the moment. Absolutely. Aoife Kearns, news reporter with News Talk, thank you so much. And for the very thank entertaining... Vo- I, I just love the guy in the middle. He, he's there. I mean, he's not there to see a Ferrari that he's going to drive himself. No, he, and he, he wasn't prompted either. He, he's there to drive a machine that'll do work for him, like... Oh, God. Mairead Lachman, professional matchmaker with Love HQ at the Ploughing. Thank you both very much this morning. Cheers. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Well, the Neil Prendival Show this morning has been busy and it's been a show of variety. And I want to thank the production team for that. And now we move on to something completely different. A well-known Cork Harborside Bar has been selected as one of seven regional winners in this year's Irish Pub Awards. Uh, while a famous old Leaside pub that's been reborn uh, was uh, named as one of Ireland's most innovative bars. These are the Irish Pub Awards. They're sponsored by uh, drinks giant Diageo, the owners of Guinness, Bud and Carlsberg, among uh, many other famous spirits brands. And the Enzyme, uh, which is ran by brothers Gavin and Daniel Boland, is uh, in some exalted company as one of the seven best locals in Ireland, according to the Pub Awards. At least they have reacted uh, by saying they're delighted. Uh, and I want to welcome Daniel Boland to the programme. Hiya, Dan. Hi, Mick. How are you? Very good. Now, just so we can uh, sure. put any conflicts of interest front and centre, I'm very honest, the Ensign is my local. So I, I, know yeah. you, I know you well, but I know how hard you work with your marketing and, and uh, the social media channels and, and booking all the music. Uh, tell me about your journey. You're quite a young publican. Yeah, so myself and uh, my brother Gavin, um, I suppose we've had ins and outs the last 10 years, um, but I suppose we've been involved in public trade the last 17, 18 years. Um, so yeah, I suppose to, to win this for Cork, I suppose it's best local pub, it's a great um, great achievement and I suppose it's going to strive us to drive on more with it as well, which is um, which is great. But it's, I suppose... The biggest thing, a lot is look. It's down to the staff and uh, the customers as well, um, because that's what makes it. You know. Yeah, you 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 keep the place clean. It's 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 very very often refreshed, paint and varnish wise. Is is that? And and exactly. you, you you generally run a tight ship. Is 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 yeah. that part of the success? Yeah, I suppose. Look, we try to maintain it and uh, change things around every maybe twelve eighteen months. Small bits and pieces, sometimes bigger renovations, but it just keeps it, I suppose, relevant and um, keeps it tidy, I suppose, you know, uh, which is which is a good thing. Um, so, yeah, um, quite exciting now to get, the, I suppose, be um, awarded for the regional winner of Cork. So. Well, well done. Uh, like, who'd go into the pub trade these days? And here's you and Gavin going into another uh, one. You're expanding. Tell us about that. Yeah, I kind of want to be mad, some might say, but look, we love it, we love what we do, we love the customers the whole lot. Um, yeah, so hopefully now in the coming year, maybe we'll be um, opening the second pub now in um, 
the localities well in in past address, so um, that'll be exciting. It's just kind of at the moment we're going through renovation, so hopefully in the next um, coming months um, and in the new year we'll have uh, a new premises in as well. So that's it. Exciting times ahead, I suppose. Yeah, I, got, I saw I saw a picture last night of one, of one of the musicians that plays uh, regularly in your bar. Uh, I would I'd say not for much longer because he was drinking with um, with Jeff Tate from Queensrÿche. Uh, who said this is going to be a global superstar? That's Mark Daly, and you've had him there many times. Oh, Mark Daly, yeah, a great musician as well to have. Um, very successful musician, um, and I think he's traveling in the states actually as well. He's on tour in the states at the moment, there. yeah. Exactly. So it's um, it is it's great to have local talent playing in the local pub as well, um, and Mark as well, especially is a very talented um, musician from Leeside as well. So look, it's it's good to have. Um, good quality musicians playing in the premises as well, which is um, is a good thing for the bar, a good thing for the customers to have. So, yeah, we're kind of happy with that now as well. Okay, and uh, living locally, I have to ask you this question. What sort of party can the locals expect from the Bolands uh, uh, as regards being one of the best seven pubs in the country? Oh, definitely. We'll have to, we'll have to do something anyway, 100%. We'll have to have a bit of band music and uh, definitely parties out, 100%. All right, Dan. Well, well done, uh, and and to your mum, Celia, your dad, Toss, and to um, uh, Gavin and yourself, uh, and all the staff. Well done on on a fabulous award uh, amongst the seven best local pubs in Ireland, and well deserved. Daniel Boland of the Enzyme Bar, uh, and soon to be operating the Tavern, uh, which is about mile two miles away. In the town, yeah, it's close for community, so it's uh, yeah, two blows, but in the town of Passage, also overlooking the water. You're addicted to the water, Dan. <laughs> Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks a million, Mick. Thanks. Cheers for the call. All Thanks. the best. Bye-bye. 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 Daniel Boland there of the Enzyme. Now, we're going to see for a song to finish up with. Uh, kind of a sad uh, song, really, because uh, the uh, the singer has passed away. Uh, but first, a more upbeat story and Brian Roberts from Kinsale. Good morning to you, Brian. Uh, good morning, Mick. And now, we, this... Brian Roberts and Kinsale, they're synonymous with the sea anyway. You've been at sea for over 40 years before you came ashore. Yeah, that's correct. Been in the Merchant Navy for about 41 years. Uh, and the reason we had you on is we got a couple of emails and I'm just going to paraphrase them because they're, they're, they're very long. Um, uh, in 1947, at 17 years of age, Bruce came to Kinsale with his parents. They built a house on the Bandon River but left three years later in 1950. 73 years later, Bruce returned with his daughter and together they located his house with you uh, hidden in the reeves of the riverbank uh, with yourself and Kinsale Wellness on the water. Uh, and uh, that, that's a lovely experience uh, to be involved in. And from the pot to the plate is another one. Uh, I got a, an email from an American family who went on an excursion with you and told you they'd be eating in Man Friday's restaurant in Kinsale that evening. Now, during the excursion, I'm not sure if you remember, you were checking your lobster pot, which you, which you do. You bring people out to your own couple of pots or whatever. Uh, and found you'd caught a large lobster, which you donated to the family on the basis that Man Friday's accommodating owner, Daniel Horgan, would cook it for you. And he did. And uh, so the lobster <clears throat> caught by the American family in your lobster pot, uh, they had for their dinner that night. And that must be a memory they'll take right across America. Yeah, Mick, we've had some great stories this summer. This is my first year operating uh, Kinsale Wellness and Water. And we've had some numerous stories, exactly the same as that. Some families that are still in contact with me and uh, send me lovely messages telling me what a great time they had in Ireland. 
Okay. And how can people get in touch? And uh, what sort of uh, numbers can you handle? Uh, and what sort of demographics? Do you take office parties? Do you take stags or hens? Or how big is the boat? Well, the boat is 31. It's a, pro- a project 30, 31. It's a twin-engined uh, motor launch. And I can take... I'm licensed to carry up to 10 passengers. Um, and I do a lot of corporate stuff. I'd say mostly my uh, my um, clients are from America. Then secondly would be Irish, then corporate, and then the UK and Europe would come a little bit after that. Yeah, so I'd basically, if you want me to tell you, give you a quick summary of what I do. Very quick then, because I'm, I must close out with a song. And I want you to tell me oh. about your crew as well. Okay, oh yes, of course. My first mate and able-bodied dog, Alfie, is my crewmate, and uh, he's on me with it every with it every excursion. And if you um, look up www.kinsalewow.e or hi at kinsalewow.e, you'll find all the information about me, and you can also follow me on Instagram uh, at uh, Kinsale Wellness and Water. Okay, so you, you've done so so much good for so many people. It's it's not ex- exactly a wellness exercise, but just the good spirit uh, and the fresh air and the hunger you develop by being on the water. Uh, it's it's not mindful yoga or anything like that. In fact, if you go out today, it's going to be pretty rough, isn't it? No, I think you're you're totally correct. But I think everybody who's come out on the water with us comes back feeling much better. And we have had the opportunity to take... Um, uh, you know, young kids and uh, Ukrainian kids and that out, and they've really, really enjoyed it. You know, you can imagine those guys are in uh, in a hotel in uh, somewhere, and they don't get very much of an opportunity to get out and do anything. So it's lovely for us to get them out in the water with us. You know. And are there any um, refreshment stops along the way? Um, no, not normally. What I do is I have a coolant box which I fill with uh, minerals and uh, soft drinks and maybe a, yeah, if somebody wants to put something else in it, I might right. say too much about it. <laughs> no, I was just wondering if I came down, could you take me to the speckled door? But I'll drive um, over there, it's fine. Anyway, it's Kinsale Wow, that's wellnessandwater.ie uh, or you can email hi, hi, at kinsalewow.ie. You mentioned the name of your crew. Can I strong arm you into giving away a, a family outing, maybe next year? If, 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 if it suits, but we'll give it away now if that's okay. Brian, is it? That'd be, that'd be fantastic, yeah, Mick. I would love to bring somebody out and get somebody, say, from somebody who hasn't had that opportunity to get out in the water to come out and have a bit of fun with us for All that right. afternoon. Brilliant. Well, if uh, people were listening, so this isn't just a, a open the phone lines job. If you were listening, I'm going to ask you a question. Caller 9 or the first correct caller thereafter, um, what is the name of Brian's first mate? Uh, on the Mary Rose, okay, on Wellness and Water. What is the name of uh, Brian's sidekick and five-star first mate? Uh, if you can answer that, then get calling us on 0818-104-106. Thanks a million, Brian. Thank you very much, Mick. Cheers. Uh, yeah. We're finishing with the Song the of the Water as well, by the way. Thank you, Brian. Uh, this thanks, this is oh. the last... Thanks, Brian. Thank, this is the last farewell by Roger Whittaker, uh, whom it's announced has died, and it's... Uh, uh, it's a beautiful song, a song of the water, and it really is now the last farewell for Roger Whittaker. My thanks to the Neil Prendival Show production team. That is Seamus Wheelahan, Kevin Galvin, and Claire O'Connor. Rest in peace, Roger Whittaker. There's a ship lies rigged and ready in the harbour. Talk to you tomorrow after news at nine. There's a ship lies rigged and ready. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.